Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Okay. Alejandro Escoveda. Yeah. Is that how I say it? It's close. Alejandro, how do you say it? Alejandro Escovedo. Alejandro Escovedo. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful. Is that better? Sexy, man. It is Sounds sexy. Sounds good coming out of your mouth. Yeah. Huh? Sounds good, man. Man. Well, it is a sexy name. Well. That's weird to say <laughs> <laughs> off the top. Sexy but name for, <laughs> for a sexy person. <laughs> I was going to say that, too. Yeah. I definitely. I love your outfit. Yeah, love you look great. Thank you, man. And uh, last night you were great. You were great, too. You brought man. the rock and roll spirit. Well, Where were you guys playing last night? Webster Hall. Webster Hall. We opened uh, the night. It was kind of like a big up. party. Yeah. You know, we had, uh, uh, there was Matthew Ryan. Yeah. Who took the photograph. Did you know he took the photograph to Jesse's album? Did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't the know cover that. photo. It's beautiful, man. It is beautiful. And he's great. He was he's really cool. He's a cool dude. He's sweet. Man. Shout out to Matthew Ryan. Yeah, Matthew Ryan. And then what, a, what a good soul that the, guy is. The, the always uh, unpredictable and fun Tommy Stinson was mm-hmm. there, you know? Yeah. And he put on a good show, too. He, he was did. great, man. Yeah. And then I, Joseph killed. He did the loops and, did, you know. I brought old school. Pyrotechnics, looping. everything. Exactly. Know? LeMay, Silver LeMay. I played some Eddie Money from my <laughs> from my cell phone. <laughs> two two yeah. tickets to paradise. It was amazing. Yeah, no, it was a, baby, hold on. To <laughs> yeah, me. baby, hold on. To baby, me. hold on to me. <laughs> Shout so out to Eddie like Money. That, I met Eddie Money once. Yeah. In San Francisco at a nuns gig. Okay. <laughs> the nuns were playing Mabuhai, and uh, he came backstage. He was uh, had a few too many cocktails and and kept telling the roadie that he was great that night. He thought he was one member of the band, you know. Well, insisting. the roadie probably was great that night. Well, he was, but yeah. not in the way that Eddie perceived it. Okay, I still think you need to turn his mic up a little. He's a soft speaker. So, how? What year was that? Seventy-five or six. Seventy-five or six. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, the Nuns. That was like one of your first bands. It was right? my first band. Was your? How old were you? I was ninety-five at the time. You were ninety-five. <laughs> now you're, no, and, I, and now you're thirty-two. <laughs> yes, it's a sixties thing. <laughs> no, but I was uh, twenty-four. Twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. And you, you come from a musical family, like your your yeah. brothers are. Music- there's some great musicians. I'm not one of them, but yeah, there's great musicians in my family. Yeah. My brothers Pete and Coke Escovedo played with. Uh, Cal Jader, Willie Bobo, Mongo Santa Maria. They were mentored by Tito Puente. He was like really kind of their father figure. Wow. And, uh, you know, they had a band called the Escobedo Brothers at one time. They had my brother Phil, Tommy, uh, I mean, my brother Phil, Coke, and Pete were mm-hmm. both in it and um, all in it. And then they play, had a band called Azteca, mm-hmm. a big uh, Chicano rock band in the uh, 70s. Yeah. That was kind of like Malo and Santana, you know? Uh-huh. And then they did play in Santana for a while. And now uh, Pete has his own orchestra with his family, which is Sheila E., who played drums with Prince. Right. And then uh, Peter Michael, who was a musical director for people like Stevie Nicks and stuff. And then uh, uh, my my nephew Juan, who's a great percussionist, they all play with, with my brother. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, my brother Javier had the Zeros great punk rock band out of mm-hmm. california 
Uh, the Dragons was Mario's band. They were they were the best band of the whole lot, in my opinion. Really? Why? They, they were like the Hanoi Rocks and Ramones kind of band of the family, but really, really good. I mean, young kids, and they just rocked hard, you know, constant. You know, Were they older brothers? Or? No, they're younger. He's the youngest. Oh, so He's you're the, the older one. I'm, I'm in the middle third. Oh, okay. I mean, not the middle third. That can't happen mathematically, can it? <laughs> It can for me right now. I, like, I'm, At this I hour of the morning, it. I guess it is Bro, a concept we can all embrace. I fully <laughs> accept you're in the middle third. I don't know what that means, but I'm going with it. <laughs> with a range like that, who's influenced by who, do you think? They're all influenced by me, I think. Exactly. <laughs> Even though I'm in the middle third. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the middle third is the most powerful. Name, <laughs> yeah, the middle third. <laughs> Sounds like jazz. Yeah, it would be. Avant-garde this jazz. This is an band. E middle third. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, large family, a lot of, lot of, 13 kids. Wow. Yeah, man. 13 kids, uh, two different women involved. My dad was married before he married my mom, you mm-hmm. know. So we had seven with scoundrel. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. Hey, do you want to put? He was on a head- player. Oh no, you can't put on headphones. You got that hat. Oh, he looks good. Do I need it? No, you don't need him. You sound great. I can hear you guys. Yeah, yeah you yeah, sound yeah. great. You sound great. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so, so that's a big family. It's a big family. Yeah. Uh, are you still like close with them, or is you know several have passed away? I'm um, sorry. Yeah, and um, you know everyone's a musician. So like everyone's always traveling, you know, mm-hmm. and they live out in the East East Bay, you know, in L.A. and places in California, and yeah. uh, and I'm in Texas. So yeah. and it's like every time Sheila would come to Dallas and Pete would come to Dallas, we'd be on tour. So we're always missing each other, you know. Right. Yeah. Did you ever like go see her on the road or anything? Like, did you meet Prince? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I saw yeah. with Prince. Yeah. Yeah. That was great, man. Yeah. Because it was during. Um, what was that record that she was on? The one with the the cross, you know? Was it called The Cross? The song was. Oh, uh, I don't know that record. Oh, it's killer, man. I can't remember the title. I don't know all the titles of the records. But, Me neither. But uh, he was an interesting guy, you know? He was a family friend, for one thing, when he was, before he was Prince, as we know him. Yeah. yeah. And he'd go and listen to my brother's jam in the living room, you know, because all these great Latin players would come over and jam all night long, mm-hmm. you know? And so he was just this kid, and then um, he became Prince, you know. Was that wild to w- witness? Yeah, you know, because very unassuming kind of guy, quiet, you mm-hmm. know, timid kind of guy, and then suddenly there he was, and he blossomed like nobody else had. Right, there he was in, he was like, amazing, in bikini underwear on yeah. his album cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like <laughs> what? making it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Yeah. It's funny, man. But he was great. You know? Yeah. He was great. I loved him. I thought he was a great performer, you know. Yeah, he's one of the best. We don't have too many like that anymore. In no. my opinion, I, I don't see them. Yeah, it's just pretty much me and you, I think. I think that's it. <laughs> We're carrying the flag. We're the only ones, man. You're a better dancer, though. It pisses me off. I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know. man. You got moves. <laughs> you got some moves. You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I don't know. <laughs> Was there dancing last night at the mm-hmm. show? I did a crow pose. Remember when he Jesse told us? Oh to yeah, go he did down. the crow pose. That was a, pretty impressive. I did a crow pose. I look over. I mean, I had a hard time sitting down, and then you got you went into crow pose. I went into the crow pose. I, I, yeah, it was it's hard a, to. It's a yoga move. But it was a full moon. 
And that, I, that, the energy is bizarre. It was appropriate for the full moon. Yeah. 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 So Jesse had did this thing, which I'm still trying to understand, where everybody laid on the ground. What was that all about? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really... Uh, I'm not yeah. going to lay on the ground for anyone. Number one. Yeah, we. I love Jesse. We kneeled. <laughs> we kneeled. I went into kneel. I went to uh, kneel position. Yeah. Yeah. My protest. How long have you known Jesse? Oh, I knew Degeneration. You know. From from back in the from old back days in the day York. when the nuns were here in '78, we moved here, and all those kids were hanging around. You know, so I'd run into him. But then I really got to know Jesse. Uh, I met him one night in Amsterdam. And he was playing at the Paradiso. We were both playing there. And that's when I first really kind of started hanging out with him. His first record, I think, was just come out. Yeah, yeah. the fine art of self-destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really love Jesse. He's a great guy. He really and a is. Great, and last night he was on, man. He was on. It was like all the things that Jesse is came into focus last night. You know, it was wonderful. It's true. He's a, he's a friend to the artist. He really is. He's you great. Know, he's helped me out. In the past. Oh, he's helped you know. me out immensely. Yeah, definitely. You know, Nancy and I were talking about this that this morning, how, you know, uh, I like the way he set his career up. You know what I mean? Like, he made these great records and toured constantly, played a lot, uh, didn't really go for the big, big bang, in my opinion. This is my opinion. Uh -huh. um, and then waited until the right time. He's got the right record. I think he's got a good manager now. Mm hmm the band sounded amazing. You yeah. Know? So I, I just like the way he set it up. It was real smart, in my opinion, you know. And I think he's ready for it now. Because you know? yeah. it's always a weird thing. You know, both of us know, I believe, that sometimes it hits you at the wrong time. You know, I mean, you get those opportunities mm. and maybe you're not ready for them, you know. Right. I know that in my life, I was never, you know, I didn't have that much ambition. So, like, you know, I was kind of a fuck up all my life, you know. Oh, yeah. And so, like, it wasn't about trying to be a star ever or be famous ever. Yeah. I just liked being in bands. I like, you know, wearing the leather pants and having a Les Paul Jr. Mm -hmm. and a Marshall stack. And, I, and that was all so cool to me, you know. And so my life continued with that as it progressed. And it wasn't until I made solo albums that I got serious about songwriting, mm -hmm. you know. That was in Texas. And if it wasn't for Austin, I probably wouldn't have written songs, I don't think. Why? Know? I just wasn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, I'm writing a memoir, right? Uh -huh. And it's really not so much about like a bio about the bands I was in and blah, blah, blah. But about the inner kind of workings of a person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. yeah we're here. Oh, oh my God. thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we like presents. <laughs> we Wow. How wonderful. <laughs> oh, wow. This is Look a first on the podcast. Wow. Look at that. Well, this is a first on this podcast. Well, let's hail We've to that. We've never smoked there weed be more on the podcast this. before. Don't judge us. No, please. Whatever you do. <laughs> Whatever you do. So where were we with on my story? Memoir. Oh, yeah. the memoir. Yeah, yeah, so please. the memoir is really about the inner workings of a person. You know, we moved from... San Antonio mm -hmm. to California. Yeah. But my father had told us we're going on vacation. We never went back to Texas. We left everything behind. 
I mean, like, how many people was it all together when he said that? Well, not all 13 kids, but there was a lot of us, you know. And it was my mom, my grandma, and and my uh, my dad. Was he running away from something? Yes, because my mother was trying to run away from my dad, and my dad got wind of it and came and said, "No one's driving my mom, uh, my wife, and family to California except me." So he didn't. He just told us we're going on vacation. So we just said, you know, there were so many kids, you just pack lightly. We had this old, it was 1957. So we had this old car, and we were very kind of Chicano hillbillies, you know. <laughs> and uh, and we went to California. How and old it was were beautiful. You? I was seven, I think, oh, wow. six wow. or seven. So you didn't really understand what was going on? I didn't understand. And so, like, you know, and also remember that I'm the oldest of my mother's children. Right? Oh, okay. So. You know, this is a whole new thing. My dad was a wild man, and he was messing around. He's gone for a couple weeks all the time. And so, like, she was trying to get away from him. We get to California. We're visiting relatives. One day, my ha- my dad shook hands with a man, and we suddenly owned a home in California. Wow. And the stories, though, that evolved from that, like, why did we, why did we leave the horse behind? Why did we leave, you know, you have to remember, like, in San Antonio, it's like 75% Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like Mexico. Right. You grow up speaking Spanish. You grow up eating Mexican food every day. That was my food. Mm-hmm. My family was all around, uncles, aunts, cousins, you know. They were all my family, right? Yeah. Suddenly you're separated from that. You're put in California where your parents are taking you to supposedly uh, get a break, right? Have mm-hmm. a better kind of opportunity yeah. in America. Yeah. And suddenly your face, like I, I tell people, no one ever called me a beaner. No one ever called me a wetback. No one ever questioned my citizenship until we moved to California. Wow. You know? So you deal with all that kind of shit, and then suddenly you're forced to uh, assimilate into a culture that you have to, right? Mm-hmm. For various reasons. I mean, I think our parents were trying to get us to speak English because... The opportunities were in English, you know. And then rock and roll music was all in English, so that's how I learned to really kind of adopt. That was my language, you know. Yeah. All the records, right? And then suddenly your face, I I love surfing, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up wanting to be a surfer, but to be a Mexican surfer was crazy, right? Right. Because in those days, the surfers hated the Mexicans. Is that right? And they would battle, like hardcore battles. Wow. So I was in this middle ground where I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to join a gang. Yeah. And I didn't want to be this kind of redneck, kind of Republican, white surfer guy, jocks, you know. Right. So I was somewhere in the middle and loving rock and roll music. So kind of trying to look cool and everything. And they would think that I was Hawaiian. The white surfers thought I was Hawaiian. <laughs> so I would be Hawaiian instead of getting my ass kicked sometimes, you yeah. know. But, you know, you lose a lot, you know, of yourself in a way because you have to kind of reinvent yourself. Well, you know? you're, like, creating yourself, too. You're creating yourself. Right? Like, all the time we're creating ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, when you're, when you're stripped of your identity in a way, yeah. culturally, um, it's kind of weird. It's a yeah, it's strange like a, place it's like to be. like a clean slate uh, all yeah. of a sudden, but you know, strange, too early in your life. You know, Stranger, in, you've read the book Stranger in My Own Land. You know, it's that kind of, it's that kind of vibe, though. You know, it's like, where do I belong? You know? 
I'm not David Bowie. I'm obviously not this Anglo-English guy. Yet I love David Bowie and T-Rex and Keith Richards, and I want to look like Keith Richards. But, you know, to be wearing a green velvet suit on Pacific Coast Highway in 1964, 5, or 7 was not a popular thing for a Mexican kid to be doing. Did you do it anyway? Yeah. And then you end up making a record with Tony Visconti. Yeah. Or yeah. a couple of them. Yeah, three. Three? Yeah. Who yeah. was like... That was a dream come true. Yeah, man. I mean, Electric Warrior is one of my favorite oh, albums. So beautiful. Ever. And the use of strings, the way that they uh, use strings. The drum and sounds Electronic. I mean, the, the guitars, the tone of the guitar. Yeah. That's a killer. perfect record. It's awesome, man. It's, you know. And then, you know, like all the Bowie stuff that he did. and He did uh, the Moody Blues. He did Thin Lizzy. Uh-huh. He made some great records, you know. What was it like working with him? He's a beautiful guy. He's very, very, uh, very nurturing kind of guy. You know, like producers, uh, you know, he wasn't like an Otto Preminger kind of approach. You know, he was, wasn't heavy-handed. Okay. Some producers really kind of try to almost intimidate the performance out of you in mm -hmm. some way. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of beat it out of you. become parental. Exactly. Yeah. And with, with uh, Tony... It was more nurturing. It was really like, you can do this. More feminine. We're going to make a... Yeah. It was very Buddhist. You know, uh. He's a Buddhist. and So it was very compassionate, and it was very uh, interesting. He carries around uh, a recorder, mm -hmm. like you get in elementary school. Right. And while the songs, you know, while you're, you're tracking the song, he's playing like little melodies, counter melodies. Because he does string arrangements. And then he writes all the string arrangements right there on the spot. With a recorder. Yeah. That's fascinating. It was awesome, man. And yeah. he writes beautifully. I mean, I wish I had those sheets of music still. Oh, you know? uh, just like the actual, yeah. like... They're like words, work, you know, you frame them, they're beautiful, you know. Wow. But anyway, th yeah, working with Tony was important, but I've been lucky like that. I worked with John Cale. Mm-hmm, wow. That was amazing. And he, he also... What was that? That was t an album called The Boxing Mirror. Uh-huh. And it was the first album I made after I was really sick, you know. Oh, right. So that was 2005, I think. Yeah, Hep C. You collapsed on stage? I'm sorry? You collapsed on stage? Yeah, I collapsed on stage. Yeah. But um, he now he has a reputation. And when I used to live here in New York, uh, in the, we got here in 78, right? Mm -hmm. I was playing with Judy Nylon. Do you know who Judy is? No, but great Ju name. Uh, Judy Nylon and Pat Paladin had a band called Snatch. Oh. And they had a great 45 called IRT. I knew a band called Snatch. And, and then uh, they had a, uh, on Eno's Seven Deadly Fins single, they oh. had the B-side, which oh. was called RAF. It was about the uh, uh, the German terrorist, uh, no, you know, anarchist group, you know, uh -huh. at that time. And so Judy, I hooked up with Judy, and she was really hooked into the whole kind of art, uh, the kitchen and Soho scene, you know, and stuff. And right away she grabbed me and said, you're going to be my guitar player. And mm -hmm. there was great guitar players. There was like uh, Pat, Pat Place, who was in the Bush Detras. You know, she was a phenomenal guitar player. Mm -hmm. And just a great band. And, and I got to play at the Kitchen. I got to play at uh, the Mud Club and Raws and all these great clubs. And the first night we played together, played at Max's Kansas City, uh -huh. had one rehearsal in her hotel, hotel room the night before. And then in the first table, a little table like this, was uh, Brian Eno, John Cale, and Chris Spedding were wow. at the table. And Cale came back and it was very complimentary. What year was that? 
That would have to be 78, 79. Wow. And so I played with Judy a lot until 1980. And so I, I loved playing with her. She was really, I think she taught me more. It's funny because her name doesn't come up in my history, you know, but she was the most influential for me because she took me out of that place that was just punk rock and kind of showed me this other world that was kind of more arty. artistic and mm -hmm. and performance art kind of like thing. Okay. Really taught me a lot about the stage. And she expanded your mind. Yeah, she really did. And, you know, she knew, she was Eno's girlfriend at one time, you know, so she had all great, like the Oblique Strategy card. She had like originals of it and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, things like that. Shit, we should have Oblique Strategies here. Yeah, That's that would be idea. so cool. That was yeah. great. How was, anyway. the, how was the move from California to New York in the 70s for you, was it? Well, I lived in San Francisco, right? So people always told me, if you can live in San Francisco, you can make it in New York. Because San Francisco is pretty hardcore, and especially at that time, at that time, it was pretty hardcore. So when I got here, you know, we moved into the Chelsea Hotel, you know. And we lived at the Chelsea, and we were dirt poor. I think we were living on ten dollars a day per diem. Was it was that was that enough to live at the Chelsea Hotel? Well, your choice time? was you either eat or you cop dope. That was the choice. Wow. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it became yeah. one or the other. You know. Who else was living at the Chelsea Hotel at the time? Well, there was uh, uh, Charles James, the great clothing designer, had been there for years and years and years, and then there was. Uh, the guy who did the uh, uh, interview covers had a studio downstairs, I remember. And Sid Vicious was staying there with Nancy. Wasn't that Andy Warhol, the interview covers? Yeah, or the interview, Andy? yeah. yeah. So you crossed paths with those two? All the, one, one day, it was my favorite day at the Chelsea. Uh, come into the lobby, and I get in the elevator. There's Quentin Crisp, Charles James... Sid and Nancy and myself, you know, wow. just going up the elevator, <laughs> going up the elevator, just kind of like, so what'd you do today? Oh, I found this great store, this bodega over there, blah, 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 you know, just simple little daily things that you talk were about. Were you friends with Sid? We were neighbors, and, but, you know, he had played, when we played, the, the nuns were the first band that night at the Winterland when the Sex Pistols played their last show. So that night, Sid came to the nuns' house and hung out all night long, you know. And uh, then I didn't see him. He disappeared the next day, and that's when he really got lost in San Francisco. Um, but then when we were here in New York, when we moved to the Chelsea, I came into the lobby one day again, and uh, there was Johnny Thunders, Jerry Nolan, Sid and Nancy, you know. And Sid was there, and he was happy, you know, to see me. He was, you know, I really loved Sid. He was a cool guy, you know. But he was so um, kind of... Out, outward forces were kind of driving him to be that caricature. Right, he was. Do you playing, know what I mean? Playing a role. They played him, you know. Yeah. And they played him to the point that he killed himself, you know. Hmm. And it was really sad to watch, but I think deep down inside he was a, a kid who just loved rock and roll. Well, who's the, who's the they that played him though? Like you think Malcolm just society and those guys? Or like, I think Malcolm. Oh, I think the record company. I think. Uh, you know the the management more than anything. You know wanted him to be like encouraged, just yeah, out of control. Yeah, they put him in positions where they knew it was volatile for him. You know. Yeah. You but know? he was like a kid too. He was young. Yeah. He's a young kid. You know. Nancy, I didn't know that well. I mean, they they called us. Nancy called us 
to come up and help her one day. Mm-hmm. It was two days, I think, before she died. And I was talking to Bob Groon about this last night, but um, so I went up into the room, me and my friend, and there was a big wad of money on the dresser. There was like a gold record on the dresser, the Sex Pistols record. Mm-hmm. They had just gotten this little kitten that they were playing with back and forth. They were wasted. And Sid was trying, Sid had like a tablespoon of Dilaudid, like mm. this big yellow gobule mess of stuff that he's trying to, you know, draw up into this. It was a mess. Mm. And he was out already. He's like just, you know, nodding out, cigarettes burning. Yeah. He's burning himself. And That's shit. what addiction does. It's awful, man. Oh, it's, it's fucked it's up. It's a beast. It's just yeah. really fucked up, you know. So, I think that's one thing that always kind of uh, saved me from really diving into addiction. You know, What's that? just that I had so many friends around me who were addicted, and my girlfriend was liked heroin much more than I did, you know. Mm. And I would have to walk with her, like down to the Bel- bridge and you know the Brooklyn Bridge and these buildings at the time. You can imagine, you know. They were really fucked up buildings and four in the morning going in complete darkness, climbing up three, knocking on a door. You don't know who's in the shadows. You don't know who's... Was that on the Brooklyn side of the bridge? No, it was on on this this side, side. yeah. So, you know, all of that just kind of... And I was too vain to be a junkie, I think. Right. (laughs) It fucks your look up. It fucks your look up. Yeah. And it's just... uh, It's a... you know, it kind of leaves scars, in my opinion. I think it's always going to be there that, you know, you know, I kind of dabbled in that stuff. I don't know why, but I feel that, you know. Just like it hits your soul. I think it hits your Mar- soul. Marks your that soul. That was one thing a friend would always tell me, is that it yeah. fucks up your soul, man. Yeah. You know? And that, and it's hard to fully recover it, or is it a mark that's not necessarily a bad thing, but just built of experience? I don't know if it's a bad thing, because I've learned to kind of like, you know, in a way, you, I, I, I value every experience, you mm-hmm. know, like everything that I've been through. People look at my life and say, oh, there's a lot of bad luck or whatever, you know. Why is that? Because, you know, I got sick uh. or, you know, Germans' interviews are the worst. Right. And the first question is, why aren't you more successful, you know? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, every other fan know, will come exactly. up and say, I thought you'd be so huge by now. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> fuck you, man. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm glad it's, I didn't ask that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, like, look at our lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at our lives. I mean, you've got a beautiful life. You travel all over the world. You yeah. make great music. You fucking... Have uh, you know you've you've been signed to great labels right. and producers and you've rubbed shoulders with giants and you're yeah. still making great work. Yeah, is that unsuccessful life? No, I wouldn't say that. No, I don't think so. I certainly don't think so. No. And if I was someone looking up, you know, if I was a kid, mm-hmm. I'd look at our lives and go, "Wow, yeah, that's pretty amazing, man. These guys are, you know." They've been doing it a long time, you know. Well, they sustained it. I know? think if you've found a passion in life, that right there is a form of success. Absolutely. So, and if then that passion can also earn you a living, even if it's somewhat modest, yeah. that's uh, tremendously successful. And then if you like, yeah, add in like we've been very fortunate and very, you know, in different, obviously different r- lives, but like in similar ways. Yeah. You know. 
Very much so. It's and like, so. Uh, yeah, just in in the influence of the people we get to like make music with is incredible. Think about that. I mean, yeah. you know, like you know, Peter, Arthur Peter Buck, Buck and, yeah, yeah. And all those people, <laughs> right? And you know, I've gotten to work with lost. Chuck Prophet yeah. and all these great guys, and you know, so like. Fuck it, man. You know, I mean, anyone who who ever asked me that right away, I just say fuck you. you know? Oh, really? You yeah. Go, you go full on. Yeah, it's fuck, just like fuck, fuck off. You. you know. You take like I always think of it as like oh they're trying to be nice, but usually it's probably warrants more. Of well, a maybe fuck it's just because it's from Germans that it doesn't sound so nice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's always just as po- it's the first fucking question. It's like you mm. know why aren't you more successful? I said look at my life. I travel all over the world. I get paid for what I do. I got to make records with some of the greatest producers ever. Yeah. Um, and my musicians that I play with, I love very much. Yeah. I live in a, I, I feel like my family, my community of people, including yourselves, and, you know, is, is vast, you know. It's right. wide, you know. It's like, yeah. it's a big family of people. And I know that, like, if I'm in New York and I need something, I can call you, I can call Jesse, I can call Derek, I can call Linda Pittman, I can yeah. call whoever. And, you know, in some way, I'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. And the same holds true in Texas and California and and London and, you know, wherever. Yeah. Uh, Italy now. I I really embraced Italy. I love Italy, man. Best. Oh, I love it. Just yeah. love it. I love the people. I love the food. I love the musicians. You know, it's just the best. It's so cool. I like how, like, unorganized it is. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. It's so fucking crazy, <laughs> it's, it's, dude. It's, like, that's the one place you play where it's like, you're on the way to the gig, and the promoter will be like, "Oh yeah, we changed the venue tonight. We like, you know, like a whole different venue or some shit like that." I like how they always, uh, you know, Americans go over. My bandmates will go over if they haven't been there before. They're always going, "We got to eat. We got to eat." You know, Americans always got to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And they go, "Oh no, don't worry. We have dinner for twenty at midnight or right. whatever." You know. Yeah, dinner for twenty, and it's always you got. And it's you know, at midnight too. It's always yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, after the gig, and then, you know, and then the and the chef comes over and wants to meet you. I love it. You know, all I that kind it. of stuff. I love it. Yeah, I d- I did this gig in Italy. My first uh, one of my first tours. I did a tour with. Uh, uh, it was called the Hobo Fest. It was in uh, Sesto Calende, mm-hmm. which is outside of Milano, okay. and. Um, it was uh, Towns Van Zandt, wow. Rick Danko, Eric Anderson, Jonas Feld, Joe Ely, Glenn Fukunaga, and myself, right? Uh-huh. So we did this concert, you know. And then we all went with Carlo Carlini, who was this crazy anarchist promoter that was promoting all the shows there. Great guy, great, great guy. And he drove us in his uh, van, and it was all of us. We traveled the countryside in these little towns, you know. That you took that whole show on the yeah, road. Yeah, took that whole show on so the road. So you were on the road with Towns yeah. Van. Yeah, Van. yeah, Towns and everybody. Yeah. And then they we went back after like two weeks, and back to Sesto, and they had a big dinner for us, man, mm-hmm. huge dinner, and like just hours of eating and drinking wine and stuff. And then they brought a guitar out, and it was funny because it was set up like the Last Supper. There was a table here. Who was Jesus? Well. Towns Van Zandt, yeah. Towns Van Zandt was yeah. Jesus. And then there's it was lots like of good titles in this podcast. <laughs> Towns Van Zandt was genius. Be a, we should write a poem. And uh, and then you know 
the commoners, the minions were down here, you uh -huh. know? And were you doing your own songs then? Or yeah, were you playing yeah. guitar and with so them? I just started doing my okay, own stuff. Okay, so this was like your first kind first of solo, kind of solo acoustic. Thing. Or yeah. And uh, so there are, it's like Eric Anderson, Joe Ely, Towns, Jonas, and, and da or Danko, and then Jonas, you know? I love Rick Danko. I love it? Rick, man. He's yeah. so great. I mean, I never met him like you did, uh, but I just love his spirit. What a beautiful and his, cat, man. I just loved he, him he so much. He exudes beauty, and his voice is so oh, beautiful, I, right? Oh, I love him. So we're so they're up there. Then they bring it after all this food. They bring a guitar out, right? Uh huh. And it starts with like a fucking great song here. Joe Ely plays a killer song. Towns just kills Crushes everybody. Yeah. Danko, and then you know. And then the guitar starts to come to me because I was kind of close to that part of the table. Mm -hmm. And I go, fuck. <laughs> no, no, no. Please, no. And, the, and they hand me the guitar. I go, okay, sing a song, you know. So it took everything I had in my soul, my guts, to, to like just play this. Crazy, dude. And I played this song, you know. And I'm, as I'm playing, my eyes are closed, you know, because I was just so yeah, terrified. And... And then I hear Danko lean over to Towns and goes, that's a great fucking song, man. Nice. And I thought, fuck, I could die right now. Dude, man. that's this a rocky it. moment that's, right there. That's, that's so like, hip, man. Yeah, that is hip. And then we all went to my hotel room <laughs> and gambled all night. Joe won all the money. Joe Ely is a g professional. What'd you gamble with, cards? Well, we were just throwing coins, you know, oh, against like, the door, tossing quarters, you know. Okay, how does that work? Heads oh. or tails in your No, betting? no, no. You, you toss it against the, the oh. door sill. Oh, okay. You know, and so, like, whoever gets the closest, you can knock another guy's out. You oh, know? I see. It's like bocce ball or something yeah. with coins. And the, but we had a whole pile of money, a big pile. And Danko's, like, you know, making calls to Woodstock and stuff. And it's like, we just had a great old night. And in the morning, they came to get uh, everybody. And Joey Lee, all he has is a white T-shirt with wine stains. This old drum of like Parmesan cheese had been carrying around for the whole tour, and a, and a paper home. bag with a, a, a wine bottle in it, you know. And then, so I say goodbye, and I go back into my room, and Towns is in his room. And Towns went to military school, so every morning when he got up, he'd make the bed perfectly. Mm -hmm. Perfectly. Well, that's interesting. He just throw a coin on it, it's perfect. Really? He's dressed in his buckskin, he looks beautiful, his hair is brushed. He looked beautiful. He's got one hand, he's got a bottle of vodka that's almost gone, uh -huh. and the other hand, he's got a toothbrush. <laughs> I peek my head in and I go, and he was just kind of like sitting like right here, but the wall was like right here, just kind of facing the wall. And I said, Towns, what's going on? He goes, I'm just trying to keep it together, brother. Wow, <laughs> bro. That's a mind-blowing story, dude. Isn't that crazy? Dude, that's crazy. And that was one of, crazy. That's one of the last times I saw Towns, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I saw him again in Austin once. but Man, yeah. that's such an interesting portrait because I, it's just the details of him making his bed to that degree yeah. and then wearing the suit. Yeah. Like, it's just like, wow, that's heartbreaking. It is. You know, in a but weird that was way, Towns, in a weird you know? way, you know, and just, that's why you know because it's, it's somebody giving an effort. Like it's not just somebody throwing in the towel. No, 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 no. You no. know, no. I don't know. Towns was a fighter. You know? What were you about to say, though? Well, you know, the interesting part of uh, I was talking to Ely about this in Lubbock. We were talking to Nancy about Towns, kind of trying to explain Towns, you know, 
we're talking about the movie that came out and the, you know all that stuff and mm -hmm. how it's really hard to capture such a complex character you know because he was so many things and uh, not just you know the thing about Towns to me that I love so much is that he exemplified the Texas troubadour probably better than anybody you know outside why, of Joe Ely because he was a he was a wandering spirit you know mm. he was a poet everything that came out of his mouth was like poetry in this Texas way kind of bent and crazy and fucked up wow and his humor was he had the worst jokes I've ever heard in my life but you laughed you never didn't laugh at his humor because <laughs> they were so dumb. it's just so crazy you know it's stupid <laughs> do you, you know? remember it's kind any of funny them? you know but we had so many great you know I, I only got to tour with him a little but I always felt really close to him we toured the west coast together a couple of times and you know he really loved my family you know one night we were playing at the uh, uh, the American Music Hall in San Francisco okay I played there and it was Father's Day and Towns had come into sound check and he was he was already had some drinks you know and so he sits next to me and he starts talking about his daughter Katie Bell and it's in Nashville and he starts to cry he starts to weep while he's telling the story how much he misses his daughter and everything you know finally he gets up and does his sound check and stuff and I played my set my whole family was there I had like 50 people on the guest list or something you know yeah and then um that place holds like 600 yeah it was crazy so like we had, a, you know, and then Towns comes on and he starts with the same story he had been telling me at Soundcheck and starts to cry again on stage, you know, telling the story about his daughter. And then from the back, his son, JT, do you know JT? No. Yeah. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, yells out, Maybe. play the song, you drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and Towns just laughs, kind of snaps out of it and starts playing songs, you know. So afterwards... These three, it was uh, uh, Harold, who was Towns' lifelong partner and road manager. Towns and JT are in the dressing room. You know, those dressing rooms are big, you know. Uh, Do you remember those? Yeah, it was yeah. Down, down, down in the stairs. basement. Yeah, 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 like huge rooms. They're big. They're yeah. big rooms. Like, it's like a, like, it almost feels like a school downstairs. Exactly, or like shit. a school gym or yeah, something like down there. Yeah, like an empty school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, like, those three are in this huge room by themselves. While my family has like Tito on the, on the, on the jam box, and mm -hmm. we're like dancing, and they brought the malas and all this food and stuff, and we're all partying, and suddenly you hear a knock on the door, <laughs> and it's Towns, you know, uh -huh. and they come in right away. My family is like, "Come on in, brother," you know, blah blah, yeah. you know, come and start dancing. And he goes, "Man, I want to be in this fucking." Family. I want to be in that family. <laughs> I want to be Just in this family. Story. He was so funny, man. He was great like that. But yeah, you know, I remember him with so much affection because he was uh such an inspiration as a songwriter you know right like, as a writer you know yeah in what way did he inspire you well because he taught me so much because uh i got to austin 1980 all those guys were still playing in like barbecues and backyards mm -hmm. and uh beer gardens and um you know and towns was always one of those people who had extremely like enlightening nights where he would like lift you into a place that no one else could you know and he was like a shaman in that way that he kind of like really uh showed you how deep grief can actually go right the in blues his, in his music or in his songs and his, in his like, delivery and his whole yeah. being you know yeah. and and yet on the outside he was this like kind of happy-go-lucky cat 
But when he sat down with the guitar, it was a different story, you know? Yeah. So, you know, he taught me about the beauty of just playing songs, you know? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Just for the sake of, as, as, I'm sorry that I said that, because that's one of his records, but, what? you know, for the sake of the song. Oh, you know? it is? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. song is like It's amazing. amazing. That's amazing. Next level. So yeah, like, like I think anybody who's that fucking good at what they do, like that that kind of joy of just doing that thing that you're that good at, kind of inspires that feeling. It really does. Because yeah. you, because in your own soul, you're kind of like going like, I want to be that good at something like that, <laughs> you know, or like. It does me like it. That's a kind of a good kind of competitive spirit that kicks in. Like not like you know, it's like the competitive spirit that pushes you to like actually. Work. I guess that's inspiration. That's inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And you it, know, it's a form of. I've never really thought of it as a form of competitive. Like it's almost like the 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 good side of competitive. I can see that. I Maybe guess. the weed kicked in. Maybe, maybe it's the middle, the <laughs> middle third. Me, I think the middle third. Let me, is. let me hit that thing again. <laughs> yeah, <don't go>. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that before when you got all emotional. Yeah. What? That the weed kicked in. Who yeah. got emotional? A little bit. I did. Yeah, town story. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's just fascinating. It your uh yeah, what's your book? I mean, your your book is going to be the greatest book of all time if you just have somebody record you talking and then transcribe it. Yeah. Like do you write or are you I like, write a little bit. You write or are you I don't doing, write as much doing, as I used to to be quite honest. Yeah, me I I want to write more. Yeah, I want to write more too, but it's the biggest effort to write. You know, I used to have the opportunity to totally be alone. I think for me, songwriting, I have to be solitary. Where I feel like there's no one within like a five-mile radius, it feels like, you know? Right. Otherwise, I have a really hard time writing. And, you know, I I co-write with people and stuff, and that's cool. But I really want to write a record again where it's just my thing, you know? Tell my story again, you know? through And it's not that I haven't done that, but, you know songwriting with a partner i think is always there's going to be compromise in it in some way or another you know and some songwriters are easy to deal with you know some guys are very like you know writing with pete and scott is a dream you know it's a pleasure and then other songwriters are very difficult you have to kind of like adhere to their process if they have one or or attitude or you know they think that they know exactly how the song should be and i like my whole thing about songwriting and music is to, I like freedom, you know. I like to be free. I like to fuck up and then pick myself up and do it again, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's beauty in mistakes in, 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 in music, you know. When you play live, you know, I, I don't like to play the song the same way twice, really, you know. Right. I try to change it in some way, you know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like to, you know... Uh, Sterling Morrison told me that, you know, the Velvets would, he goes, we never played anything the same way twice. Really? Know? Yeah. Every time we went out there, we had no idea what the tempo would be or the, you know, might be a different key, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. But they were, you know, that's like being an explorer, right? You know, it's like, I like the mystery. I don't want to know everything. You know, right. I, I don't want to know everything. And I hate it when people know everything because to me, it's like a conversation killer. 
you know. What? Do you know what I mean? Like if somebody hits you with all the facts and they, you know, they blah, blah, blah. Instead of feeding the conversation in a kind of a way that allows both people to learn something. Right. That's what I love about music. Yeah. When you get players that are very giving and open. And I'm always like, you know, with my bands, I, I, I pick them for a particular reason. And I want them to explore that within themselves, within my songs, you know? Really? Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't want to tell them what to do. I don't want to write them charts. I don't want to do any of that. You, you know? want to explore their their like nature yeah, within, like, within your song? Because you pick, uh, you know, you play with a drummer because sometimes you want a harder hitting drummer and maybe sometimes you want a guy who can really kind of like, you know, have more jazzy kind of thing, flavor to it or... Maybe you want even a Latin thing, someone who can do that, too. But, you know, I want him to do that within the context of my songs, and I want him to explore, and I want him to try, and I want him to take me places that I wouldn't have thought of. You know, that's what I want to learn in music. Right. I don't know. Does that make sense? App, totally. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like... Uh, You're like that when you play, man. Yeah. When I'm at my best, I'm like. That's that. what I love is when when I watch you, and you're free, yeah. and you're just doing what you know. Whether you go into a solo on the guitar or mm -hmm. your voice, you do a lot of things with your voice. That's exciting to me, you know. Yeah. I don't want to see super polished, you know, shit. I, I like I like improvisation. Yeah, and the entertainment is all in the vulnerability of exactly. The like it's watching real, somebody man. up there like kind of deal with their limitations and expansion at the same time that's what's interesting that's beautiful man yeah you know so i love i love that kind of rather thing. than just like you know yeah reading a script yeah no i'm not into that no. so that so the book so this book that i'm trying to write right now yeah. uh, is more about that kind of insecurity that i was given somehow through the move to California, uh -huh. the environment that I was placed in, yeah. uh, Catholicism, uh, a Mexican mother who was very, very uh, unforgiving, mm. and a father who was a wild boy, mm. and brothers who, my role models were these musicians, jazz guys who dressed in suit and tie everywhere they went. They were slick as, you know, the slickest cats on the block, mm -hmm. and you know, watching how they, let's say, treated women and everything, you know, mm -hmm. their role with women, how they uh, communicated in, on that level, you know. So my, it's about somehow... The building blocks of who you are. Yeah, and somehow trying to, f trying to place... Music enters as a kind of like a redemption, you know, because... Doesn't it, though? Because if I hadn't, <laughs> if I hadn't found it, you know, or it found me, you know, um, you know, I probably would have been, I don't know, a drug dealer or maybe not even alive or I something. I wouldn't be alive. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. There's like, uh, cause I was on a crash course. You yeah, know? me too. And that, and music's definitely saved my life multiple times. And I, you know, and it wasn't like so much like a crash course where I was hell bent on killing myself or anything. But I think that the kind so there was a sadness inside that was overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. and that pain I think was what would have taken me down yeah. more so than, and that leads to you know that leads to drugs and alcohol or whatever. Yeah, 
course. Yeah. It's the yeah, but it, you got out the other end of it. You yeah. survived it. Yeah, I did. And you so know. it's a lot about survival, right? Yeah. We're yeah. talking about surviving drug addiction as we smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but weed's different. This is medicine. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. medicinal. No, I love marijuana, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't smoke it that much. You don't? Not not anymore. I mean, I've gone through phases, but... I smoke know. every day. Yeah. Yeah, as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, is it legal in Texas? No. no, absolutely not. Isn't that wild? Nothing's legal in Texas. <laughs> Except guns. <laughs> Just guns and cows, you know? Is that all you do is weed, or that's too personal a question? No, you can ask me that. Uh, okay. Yeah, weed. Uh, weed's the only drug I do. Ever uh, microdose? Huh? Microdose mushrooms or anything like that? No, we do peyote uh, oh, in yeah. a ceremony. You can microdose peyote, too. I've never seen that. Well, yeah, like you can just have But a, I think peyote should be done bit. in a ceremony or else not done at all. It's it's effective as a thing to microdose. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like, a medicine, you know. It's medicinal and yeah. I've done it in ceremony too, but as a, like as a microdose thing, like it actually works really well like that. It just oh. elevates your yeah, it just, you know, it centers you and you're sort of you know that kind of moralistic center where you feel like I don't know. You know what I mean? Like when That's you're really beautiful stuff, man. When, yeah, like it kind of centers you there. Also, it gives you energy. So you can exercise like incredibly well. Oh, it's wow. very interesting. I'll check that out. Yeah, like just a small <laughs> amount. I'll check that out. A small I like, you know, yeah, it's uh it's uh I got it, you know, um well, it's popular in Mexico. Yeah. Is that where you discovered well, it, it or When what? I was living in Wimberley, I had a ceremony for my daughter, and I had uh, uh, a tribe come from the Pima Reservation and the Salt River Reservation, uh-huh. Apaches. Yeah. And then the Coriso Indians came from down in San Antonio, and they went down into the valley to the gardens to get all the peyote. Uh-huh. So they come back with two pickups full <laughs> of, like, you know, those huge potato bags, you know, those mm-hmm. burlap bags, Bears. sacks, full of peyote buttons, like crazy and so i invited like 25 people to come for the ceremony is that all and right away they the women start to they 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 take some of them and some of the uh the medicine they they boil it for some to make a tea and then they powder some into like a chocolate kind of yeah thing that's the good stuff to microdose and oh the, yeah the powder that would be perfect it's yeah. perfect you yeah. just dip your finger in it yeah, yeah like, there you, you go know, like that <laughs> i love it bro it's that easy and it's after like, dinner mint dude exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's great i gotta check that out Dude, I was intimidated to do it, like when I because I felt like, yeah, this is like I, I got it from a shaman too. And yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, like should I be doing that? And I and I just made, and uh, she said to me like, just you know, it'll tell you how much to take, and it yeah. was just telling me to take a small amount. Yeah. And I would just enjoy my day still. And yeah. Wasn't tripping hardly at all. Like, yeah. How long does it last? Kind of good, good amount of time. Get it lasts you, a long time. Get you through. Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember, you know. So it, wait, but the oh, thing that was cool though about the tribes yeah. is that, and and what you say is is correct that it's medicinal. So when you belong to the Native American Church, who celebrates peyote, right? Uh, you can't drink. There's no alcohol allowed at all. You can't have drunk for. I think you got to abstain from alcohol for like at least a week or two before you even do this. And if you become a member, 
you cannot drink alcohol at all you know yeah. so it's actually helped a lot of the tribes because yeah. you know alcoholism is a problem on yeah. the res yeah right? well even bill wilson took acid i mean psychedelics to deal with addictive behavior they're yeah. they're known like mushrooms but have you ever sat in a peyote ceremony like around a big yeah. like circle of people that's what happened yeah fire in the we built a fire shaman yeah in mexico not in mexico no uh, not on my I property yeah. oh okay oh wow yeah so they came and and we did it on my property i had like five acres out there you know so we had this beautiful big pasture we built a teepee and everyone went in it was unbelievable the songs and you know and it's a truth serum in a way because you really the focus is so intense when you in the ceremony you know and some people don't like it because you really see inside yourself you know yeah it's scary for some people it's just too much you know yeah. i had one friend uh go back to the hotel with his wife and, and, and um, confess everything, you know, kind of laid it all on the line. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that started a, a bad thing, scene. But, you know, it can go either way. But for me, it was really good, you know. And I asked, I asked the, the, uh, the chief, I go, how come I'm not throwing up? Because most people get a little ill on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And he says, because the medicine loves you, he said. You know? So it was yeah. cool. Yeah. I didn't throw up. No. No. Well, if you take microdose, you won't well, no, but I did a ritual too in, oh, Me- in Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like with the shaman and stuff, and then at the very end, we like sat all night. Wow, yeah. You know, in a group of people singing songs and stuff. Like there would, and there would be like some people participating in a heavier way. We'd go in the center of the circle and like say some stuff, and you know, I just sat there and you know took the medicine too. Awesome. And then at the end, like when dawn comes up, then the shaman did that thing where they like blow tobacco up your nose. Mm-hmm. You know that thing? Mm-hmm. And he did that to me on both my nostrils. And then I like tears flooded oh, out of my wow. eyes. Like that's, and he told me to concentrate on a prayer. Yeah. And the, the purpose of that like thing that they blow up your nose is that it's, it's actually tobacco. And mm-hmm. it makes you concentrate real hard on that prayer right in an intense moment, in wow. an intense way. And I never knew that that's why they did that. And so I did it the first time and like people would do it and then like fall to their knees. I'm like, I, I didn't buckle on the first one, but like tears just instantly tears just come out. But then, uh, and I'm concentrating on the prayer and then on the next one, that's when I like just hit the knees and then emotionally I just like Mm. everything came out. It was like really pretty fucking magical. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you did that. That's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was very healing yeah. in a way. And also, a, a spirit like that also guides your life, you know, a long time after. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like that that, that has a long, like, uh, gestation mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. you know, where the healing benefits yeah. really come into bloom through the years, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's important to take part in those, you know. Yeah, yeah So you're lucky that you did that. With you. I've been very lucky yeah. in that regard too. Yeah. I feel like like psychedelics have found me in a kind of interesting way. See, when I was a kid, I didn't like psychedelics. The, yeah, they're the scary. LSD scared the shit out of me. I took that the first time when I was 15, and it was crazy strong. LSD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's too yeah, strong, dude. But <laughs> like, well, I don't want to know that much about myself. Yeah, you know? it was it was wild. I wonder about that. Well. When was your first experience with it? It was the 60s, you know? Yeah. I was a kid. Did you know Hendrix? 
I didn't know him, but I oh. saw him. Oh. Saw him play. I went up and shook his hand. You did? No, I love Hendrix, man. Yeah. He was so beautiful. It was in uh, Palm no, Springs. None Bob more Fizzle. beautiful. You know who <laughs> played at this gig this one day? The first day was Procol Harum with Robin Trower on guitar. Mm -hmm. Amazing. The Flying Burrito Brothers with Graham. The real Flying Burrito Brothers. Right. And then a, a, a band called Hard Luck Boy that was from San Diego who were amazing, like, combination of kind of like a punk rock Doors Stooges hybrid. You uh -huh. know? Amazing, great singer. Hard Luck Boy. Hard Luck Boy, they were called, you know. And then the next day, uh, Stone Pony played with Linda Ronstadt when she was so cute and uh -huh. barefooted, you know, she's awesome. And there was in this uh, where the Angels did spring training in Palm Springs, you know. The gig was called the San Andreas Boogie, I think, because uh, California was supposed to fall into the ocean at that time. And uh, and he was standing there with Buddy Miles, you know. And, of course, in those days, there was no security. People just kind of like, you could walk up to whoever, you know. I just went up and shook his hand. I said, I love you, you know. I was just this kid, you know. So he was just watching, not playing. I'm sorry? He was watching. He was just standing there with Buddy. I don't, you know, it was early in the day. It was like day daytime, you know. And so, like, uh, he had all these beautiful women around him, of course, you know, and... Uh, it was really heavy, but he was really sweet. He just said, yeah, I love you too, man. You know, and, and that was it. How old were you? I think 15 or 16. Right. Yeah, something like that. And you just kind of started playing guitar at that point? No, or? I didn't play till I was 24. Oh, really? Yeah. You started late. Yeah, we started because uh, we were actually wanting to make a movie about the worst band in the world. and and But we thought we looked so so beautiful that we, we would be the band and since we couldn't play we were perfect for the role you know uh -huh. so i we rented a guitar in marin county uh and never took it back we stole it basically and uh <laughs> and and i and i think i you know learned a couple chords and wrote these silly songs and filmed it you know this is how you started yeah i wanted to be a filmmaker i didn't want to be a, a musician oh really i love records but I collected records since I was a kid, but um, I really wanted to be a filmmaker. Huh. Yeah. A cinematographer is what I really wanted to be. Yeah, who was inspiring you in that regard? Well, all the French New Wave, Godard, and, you know, Buñuel, especially, and Eisenstein's theories on film. and. What are those? It's, it's, it's a, it's a three-volume set called Film Sense. Can, can you recite it real quick? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's thick, it's thick stuff, and yeah. it was a long time ago, you know. But um, yeah, I used to, you know, just kind of consume every film, and I loved, uh, you know, all the great '70s directors, you know, and I loved John Huston very much, uh -huh. the great director, you know. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to make movies. That was it. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you? Do you still want to make movies? And you know what's? You know what's really weird is. I've never had a video. That is weird. I've never made I've never made any sort of promotional video at you, all whatsoever. You've never made a music video? No. That's wild. Yeah. Why? I think they're horrible for one thing. Yeah, Most but like them. even coming up, <laughs> even coming up through all the MTV stuff yeah, where that oh, was the only that, yeah. game in town. I think you well, never you rank never, and file made a video. You were never tempted to make a music video? Not for myself, but rank and file made a video and it was the hokiest thing in the world. Right. We're like on horses and shit. Nobody can ride a horse, you yeah. know. Uh, it was pretty funny. 
Yeah, they are really bad. It's They're hard. To, it's hard to make a good one. I've never. There's seen. some good ones. No. Which What's your favorite? I don't know. We've like, made plenty good ones. How I, about the Joker Man one? <coughs> Do you like that one? What's the Joker Man? You know the Dylan one. Oh, Joker Man. I don't know if I saw that one because he's not in it until the chorus, and then you just see his face, and he just kind of sings the chorus. But right. the rest of it's all this imagery, you know, the Joker, yeah. the political stuff. Huh. That's a great record. Yeah. Infidels. Infidels. Yeah. I don't know that one. Oh, that's that's got Robbie and Sly on on the rhythm section. Oh, okay. And then it's that's got uh, Mick Taylor on guitar and um, uh, who's the guy from Dire Straits? Mark Knopfler. Yeah, he's on guitar too. Yeah. It's a great record. Great songs. Did you meet Dylan? No, I never met him. Me neither. Do yeah. you, would you want to meet him or not really? I'd like to meet him. I think he's yeah. probably a pretty cool guy to meet. You know. Jacob was on the podcast. I love Jacob. He's the best. Jacob came to, uh, they gave me this award in, in Austin, and they invited some people to come and sing some of my songs. And John Doe came and sang uh, um, Sally Was a Cop. Uh huh. And then Jacob came and did Castanets with me. You know, It was great. Yeah. And we had Brett, uh, what's Brett's last name, Viv? From Spoon? Oh, Brett, Britt da- Britt Britt Daniels. Daniels. I'm yeah. sorry. Could you edit that part? Yes. Britt Daniels. Uh, he came and gave a, a cool little thing. and and But it was great to have Jacob, though. You know, it was really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really sweet guy. He is. Definitely. He's Smart a, kid. Did you see his new film? No, I haven't seen it yet, no. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some previews. It looks great. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Echo in the Canyon. That's a, that's a, that was an interesting scene in the in those days you know yeah did you get involved in it no no, no. that's kind of like a you know the, the air is a little thin up there with those people you know those were all the stars that lived up there you know right you know we were still kids you know we're yeah coming from Huntington Beach you know that's where I lived Huntington Beach I didn't move to Hollywood till like 1972 or 3 I think it was. do you think living there growing up there is what made you want to get into filmmaking had a lot to do with it. Right. And my mother uh, was an avid film uh, devotee. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was, yeah, there was like some She taught of... me about film and all the actors and, 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 and screenplays taught me about that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Really? When you were just a kid? Yeah. And she would just talk about it? Which you was... know, that's the one thing my mother gave us, the greatest gift she gave us is that uh, she really encouraged us to read like very early, you know, and we'd have to read her books, not, you know, Dick and Jane, whatever, you know, we'd have to read like, you know, Steinbeck. What would Emmy she one. say? How would she encourage that? Oh, she'd make us. I mean, it was like she hardcore. Would just say you have yeah. to read. Yeah. yeah. It was Nazi. You know? But she sounds like kind of an artist type or something. She had an like. artist's heart, you yeah. know, but she, she was a frustrated housewife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had a lot of talent and she had a lot of, possibilities man when she was young she was gorgeous she looked like a starlet you know yeah and um and then my father came and took her and just kind of you know she never learned to drive she had to cook for all these kids and took care of all these kids and my dad was not the greatest husband you know yeah when did they meet how old were they was it my dad was much older than her Oh, okay yeah 
so she was ki- kind of a she kid, was just so. a, she was this beauty i mean really a beauty do you want some of this no i'm, no. <laughs> I'm good yeah did she ever after all the kids were out of the house would she come to your shows or you know my mother came to one show in my whole life really yeah she came to one show which one was that continental club <laughs> did she yeah. like it no that's no in, in austin, austin. Oh, okay. but it was with the true believer it was when javier was in the band she loves he was well, I shouldn't say that. Never mind. But what? Javier, you know. Do you know my brother, Javier? I don't know if I know him. He was in the Zeros. Oh, okay. Javier's great, man. Yeah. He's got great records and great guitar player. Very uh, rock and roll, you know. Oh, okay. He's a rocker. And he's the true rock star of the family. Really? Yeah. You're not the true no, rock star? No, Dude, you're a pretty rock star. He's, he's a natural. <laughs> he's a natural. I mean, he looked like... You know, with that Les Paul and his clothes and hair, he looked just like a cool Jimmy Page. You so know, he had just that vibe going you on. You guys in the band? Yeah, we had a band together. Yeah. And my parents came out to see us play. Oh, one, they, one time. They both came to the same gig? Or? Yeah. Oh, really? And dad, yeah. And what'd they think? They were amused, you know? Uh-huh. They were amused. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, but they were happy for us, I think, you know? My dad was always. My dad understood music and musicians, so... Did he come and see you more than your mom? I think he came a couple more times than my mom. Why did they come so few? Good question. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I left home when I was very young. How old? Fifteen. Wow. And I was kind of forced out of the house by my mother, you know. Why so, that? Oh, she was just... It was just too difficult to live with her. You, you know? guys clashed? Very much. Right. On everything. Huh. What time of day it was. <laughs> right. Anything, you know. And um, it's funny. I loved her very much and always respected her. But she was not a very giving person. Mm. Affectionate in any way, you know. Right. There's, a, there's a, I, I can't think of one picture with her holding me or touching me. You know? Right. Like even if we were sitting right here. It looked like just two people who kind of ended up on the same bench. You know? Right. <laughs> it doesn't look like a mother and son kind of thing. Yeah, it's so... And, you know, you want that in life. Of course. You know, you yeah. want it badly. I mean, you kind of want it more than anything, right? Yeah. You know, and it's... so, like, that was a difficult thing because, uh, you know, if I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, they would, they didn't understand me. Right. So they would, but instead of trying to understand me, they would send me to shrinks or, you know. What well, were you, the family scapegoat? Or was I guess the, so. See, I mean, that's a role that people play in a dysfunctional family. Yeah. It's just like, man, I, that's yeah. the one question I'd ask God, like, what the fuck's up with this? Because, yeah. like, when you get down to the nitty gritty of it or, like, after you kind of, like, dealt with the, the trauma of yeah. that, yeah. of that role, that's, yeah. like, awful because yeah. it's literally the family garbage can. Right. You are, like, the personification of all the dysfunction. Exactly. And somehow it's your fucking fault, yeah, yeah. even though you're the kid in the situation. Yeah. You know, so like, but once you get all the way past that and you realize that like so many, that's pathological and so many of us come from exactly that, Mm. like that this is a a fucking thing, a behavioral human thing that just repeats across so many families. Yeah. And then you just go like, 
damn, what's up with that? In fact, I wonder, like, it's probably rarer, the healthy ones, when you yeah. think of humanity. I would you think know? so. And, I, and sometimes I even question where there are, whether there are healthy ones. Exactly. Because every family seems fucked up in some way. Yeah, you know? I agree. I totally you know? agree. But, yeah, but you know, you're I have, right I have about very that. problematic relations with my family, too. Like, I haven't, you know... I haven't talked to them in a while, for instance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I mean, it's super heartbreaking, but, and I would love for it to mend somehow, but, you know, I just don't know. You know, when I was young, and, you know, that scene where my, my mom was going to have someone drive us to California, my mother, since till the day she died, blamed me for that. her having to stay with, her, with my dad. Right. You know? And what a horrible life she had because of me. Yeah. You know, that I was, she goes, you were crying for your father. I go, Mom, I was six years old. Of course I was crying for my father. You know? Yeah. And so she manipulated us in that way, you know. Right. And you're right. I exemplified everything that was wrong with her life and her and her choices in life. It's a know? role of a lifetime, my it's friend. It's fucked up. And you never, it's not fair. It's not fair and you never, there's no, there's no way out of it. Like, it's like a permanent role you know and you it's know, that that's the way that pathology or whatever you want to call it disorder you know that's the way it operates yeah it has its own operating system but the thing and that's, that's, how, up that's about the road it. to forgiveness but you talk about child abuse yeah i mean that's child abuse yeah of course man because you know that led to years and years and years and years of just wondering whether I was worth a shit or not, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure your you artistic deal with all that your stuff. artistic career is probably fueled by exactly, it. Exactly, yes. man. And how and how do you think how do you think it is fueled by it? Well, because it inspires not just a need to kind of get all this once again it it, it revolves around pain, right? Right. You know. That's the engine of But to of somehow rock and cleanse roll. my soul of this pain, right? Yeah. Or try music. to through music, through words, through expression, but also to prove something to uh, the world that seemed to have said that I couldn't do anything, right? That I wasn't worth that effort, you know. So in a way, it's uh, my own kind of battle that I try to win every day, you know, is to get up and say, you know, you are worth something. You you can do things, you know. Uh, I don't let that, you know, the, what do they call it? The, the, uh, oh shit. But in Buddhism, there's a voice that comes, you know, what is Thought it? The police? monkey, the, mo oh, the monkey mind. Yeah, yeah. Monkey mind. Yeah. You don't let monkey mind take over. Right. And, you know, uh, convince you that you're, you're not worth something. You know? Yeah. So. Hey, do you ever mess with metacognition? Do you know what that no. is? That's like when you, the fact that humans can like analyze, that like we can be the witness of our own thoughts, so therefore mm -hmm. we're not our thoughts. So like when you have the monkey mind, you can be like, who has the monkey mind? And then you can go, who's asking who, who has the monkey mind? <laughs> and you know, you keep like, you keep looking at yourself of, as the witness. Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of mourn in the moment too. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of mm -hmm. like what, you know, I don't know. That's like a good trick. When but I, when I asked you if your mother came to the show, now I understand more your your yeah. reaction. Um, <clears throat> how do you like wanting to prove yourself, and then getting the success that you got? Did you ever go back, and say and say, "Hey, mom, look, I'm," 
how her reaction, I guess, was never positive or never supportive to any part of your career. You know, when my mother passed away about five, four years ago, five years ago, it was a really weird thing for me because we weren't that close. We hadn't spoken that much. Um, she was still very judgmental and kind of like harsh sometimes and manipulating the kids against each other now because she had them all in this position to do so. And, uh, you know? Yeah. So when she passed away, you know, there was this kind of feeling of relief in a way. Right. You know, like, I don't have to... I don't have to think about that anymore. Right. Know? Well, did you go no contact before that time? or We were in contact, but... Very limited. Limited, and she was kind of losing it, you know, so... It was never that enjoyable, really, you know. You know, and, and I think that, you know, it's funny because if you were to talk, you know, like, if you were to talk to every one of those 13 kids that my father had, they all had different fathers, you know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like my dad was a yeah. different man in every part of his life. With every kid, he was it's a different that way guy. With two families. Yeah. That? So yeah. like our family, the older brothers and sisters, excuse me, look at our family like. I mean, I remember they were kind of angry about it. You know, some of them were, angry. because my dad was trying to get it together. My mom had him under tight leash, like you know, if we're gonna live here and you're, you got to work do your thing stop fucking around you know i'm not standing for any of this anymore and he did to a certain extent you know he really tamed his his whole game down you know right so he was a good father you know i mean i, I always saw him as a great father i loved him very yeah. much you know and he was just a cool guy you know he's a loving guy he was happy he was uh always uh ready to sing a song Right. Always ready to pour a drink, always ready yeah. to just, you know, play the fool if necessary to make you laugh, you know. He's a sweetheart. I loved him very much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, but the problem was is that my mother saw me as the closest link to my dad, uh -huh. you know. That I was the closest example of what my father was like. You know? Right. Yeah. So there's the, the garbage can thing, you know. Yeah. Resentment. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was free of that, too, in a way, because I was rebellious, and I just wouldn't take any shit from my mom. So we clashed a lot, and when I had the opportunity to split, I split. So you're a mix of, like, this, like, sort of, like, you know, your father and your mother, right? Mm -hmm. like, what do you think you, like... Yeah, because, you know, I mean, my mother really kind of gave us the artistic thing, yeah. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And my father gave us this kind of, like... Uh, you know, liberated kind of, um, I don't know. Soul. Soul kind of guy, you know, who like goes out and sees the world, you know, and does mm. a lot of stuff. And um, so it's a good combo, really, you know. It's a great combo for a rock and roll superstar, yeah. dude. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, if we can find a superstar, let's. I found one. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild, though. I mean, have you researched. Um, two things have you researched narcissistic personality disorder no and, and any of that I'll kind check of that out, yeah. information on youtube there's all kinds of uh channels about mm -hmm. mpd 
and like things like that fall into that sort of category like scapegoating and like gaslighting and all all the different behavioral tactics that somebody who is like a sort of you know narcopath or whatever you Mm -hmm. call it will employ and so when when you when you like actually watch videos about how to deal with that validating that you weren't crazy like this kind of behavior exists and and this is what to look out for and that kind of stuff it can be enormously healing yeah because it's validating and that's what you need because that that kind of you know you're in that kind of situation your pain never gets acknowledged you know and you're not even you don't even have a right to it really yeah yeah so it's like and and uh yeah it's all this like subtext stuff too so getting that validation is really really helpful you know nancy and i went to a uh a therapist we thought we were going to go uh, a massage therapist we thought we were going to but she actually dealt with ptsd and, right. and trauma mm-hmm. so what turned into what we thought was going to be a massage session was a two-hour like therapy session before we even got the massage right and her thing was about um you know like all the guilt that i felt about leaving my brothers and, that was a traumatic thing for me to yeah. leave my brothers and sisters and shame Toxic with that shame. family do you know what i mean yeah. i knew what they were gonna have to endure and they've since told me yeah i was really hard and blah 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 so but what I, could you have done i, I mean, know man i had to take care of myself. a lot of pressure for a 15 year old so what she had us do though was she had us imagine this box right and you can decorate in whatever way this box is you know can be made of whatever material you want it to be wood or metal or whatever but it's a box and it has a latch and a key and a lock right um and what you do is you take all those things that you know your mother let's say whoever mm-hmm. laid on you the stuff that you were talking about the building blocks of yourself yeah yeah and you put it in the box and you lock it up and you say this is yours it's not mine you know yeah. and you visualize actually this box being presented to this person for me it was my mom yeah you know and and saying look this is your stuff it's not my stuff i don't need it anymore yeah i've used it for what i need but i it's yours you know and it was interesting because even on that level it sounds kind of very light i guess in a way but it really did help depending on how deeply you practice it exactly and so like all the time now what's helped a lot Two things have helped Sorry, me. Sorry, it helped you what? It helped you free yourself? Free myself of the guilt. Yeah. Because the guilt's always been the thing. Right, and toxic shame is another big one. There's another one. That's like the cra- That's like the w- evil twins. of like, So, like, uh, that uh, stuff of is your really fucked you know? up, man. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, uh, another really good way to deal with it is uh, with Ho'oponopono, the Hawaiian prayer. Oh. Which you should know because you're Hawaiian, right? Yeah, yeah. Remember? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you used to tell no, kids. No, 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 yeah, I got it. The yeah. callback. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> no, but uh, it's I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And the idea behind it is, it's like, and you repeat that, right? And it's the idea is that you take full responsibility for everything in your field of consciousness. Like, there, like for instance, your mother lives in your field of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Your mother's like um, sort of for lack of a better term, like sicknesses or whatever, mm-hmm. are within your, uh, y- yeah, in your consciousness, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, you're ultimately responsible for it. This is the philosophy of the prayer. 
you know and then you sort of apply the prayer i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you like mm. as a mantra and it really like it does to take full responsibility of it puts all like fully empowers you you know what i mean you get to be stop being a victim about things mm -hmm. you know it doesn't it's not to like go into denial that you were right, right. you're victimized but just that it's in your field of consciousness so therefore it's yours to deal with and it actually kind of works man i don't know how it works but if you do you know it that's enough, that's an interesting idea because yeah part of me has this really kind of pissed off angry right part of it that says I didn't do that. Yeah. And I didn't treat my kids like that. Do you know what but, I mean? But here's why I also so think like, the MPD videos would be good for you because then when you really see that this is just like hum like a pathology that's like running across humanity, mm -hmm. it helps you not take it as personal. Uh -huh. You see what I mean? That's because hard for me. Yeah, yeah I can uh, tell. Yeah. I, I feel like I've, got, really done, I've done a lot of work in that regard, like where I'm just not taking it personally because it's really... as it's really totally impersonal like even though it seems like the most personal like how could you like you know uh, mother-son relationship seems like the most personal but when you understand that there's just this destructive strain of humanity that exists across the board yeah. it just doesn't become as personal you're like oh that's just like it's just the way it is it's just the way it is and it's like not yours to go like if it's wrong or right you know what i mean yeah yeah but that doesn't mean like you shouldn't also like express the the real hurt behind it and the real rage and everything mm -hmm. it's just that you can't live there right no you're, you're, you're very you, you, yeah, no, you I can't got live there you no, got you know right. you that's what ho'oponopono and like that kind of hardcore activity but like also i think those mpd videos would be like super validating yeah. Because it's I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make this into a therapy. Oh session, no, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it just brings up more questions. How many of your songs are directly related into you trying to heal from everything that's going on with I'd your say mother? Almost all of them. All of them. Pretty much all of them. You know, I mean, I, my my first solo album was all about that. You know. And the second one as well, and the third, the first three. My records all seem to work in tri like a trilogies, yeah. You know, and there's like three, and like three always seems to be the number of working with a producer too. Like you know, after the third one, the third one's always a little rough because it's kind of like you know, you, you the first one's wonderful. Let's do it again. And then that was and a bad idea. The, oh, <laughs> I think I've seen you one too many times. You know. Right. But but no, but we've had great results, so, you know. But it helped you writing those songs, recording those albums. You felt like you healed a little each time? It does, but it lives, it's, I'm, it's, it's like what Joseph says. It's still, it still becomes, it's still part of me because I have to sing them, you know. And so you relive them, and I don't think I ever, I, I, it's like I'm on a treadmill. I don't know that I'm making all that much more progress in that respect like what Joseph's talking about I haven't found that song that's liberated me from it where I just go you know I don't you know Ho'opono I'm, I'm okay Ho you're okay Ho'opono that's the one yeah the Ho'opono Ho'oponopono yeah I man. love you I'm sorry please forgive me thank you let's repeat it I've got it Ready? I love you no, I'm sorry I'm sorry please forgive me please forgive me thank, thank you I love, I love you. you. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Please, Please forgive, forgive me. me. Thank, Thank you. you. 
I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. Yeah, and they got it mantras. It feels good. Yeah, yeah. dude, it feels like it's powerful. And yeah. they have mantras like on YouTube that I can send you that are like hour long yeah. ones. Please. And you just put them in your headphones and go oh, on a wow. walk, dude. Nice. And you just like let it wash over like whatever's disturbing you. It could be a current thing. And it really just somehow clears it. And then it allows you to live from inspiration rather than from memory. No, that's great. Because like when you're in trauma, you're in memory. Yeah. You know, so you're like locked in the past, but like when you clear those things, then inspiration has an easy access to you. Mm. You know? I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because it is uh, you you're so right at that, you know. Uh, you hang on to the past, you know, right. you hang on to these memories and you believe them to be real and you believe them to be part of what is now, right? Yeah. And that's that's a huge burden to carry around every day and, you know. Well, cut you and, off and from it's life. it's unnecessary too. Yeah, you're right. You're blocked. Yeah. You're blocked. You just live in this kind of dark little room, you know. Yeah. And it, you know, it's all this stuff's easier said than done. Of course, man, it takes a lot of effort, actually, of in it, my yeah. in my opinion, to like even get into this vibe. Like, I have to like, I, I gotta wake up, I gotta exercise, I gotta like, you know. That's put, why they call I, it a practice. I gotta right? put my mind there. Yeah. yeah, I gotta like do yoga and stuff. I gotta like actively push my mind in these directions. Mm -hmm. But I find it like really pays off when you yeah. do that, you know. And I'm sometimes better at it than others. Yeah, yeah. You know. A fall off well, the thanks. horse. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, surfing too, more surfing. You still yeah. surf? I try. Did you surf with Chuck? Chuck's a good surfer. Yeah. Chuck's a good surfer. He's he's he still that's got. Why I asked. He's that. he's still got the fearlessness. I I I seem to have acquired a little bit of fear along the way, but no. Yeah, Nancy and I are going to Mexico for a, a month in January, and we're and our intention we're taking our boards and. Our attention is to get back up on the board. You know? Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny whenever I think about surfing, there's like one wave that I think about, and I can picture it clear as like it's happening right now, you know. And that wave is always where I go whenever I'm uh, feeling something overburdened by something, you know. Just think about surfing and I feel better. When I was sick, those two years that I was off the road because I was too ill to tour. I did nothing but watch surf movies, you know. Why is that? You just love surfing. Because the water felt good, the ocean felt good, the memories, the camaraderie, the fact that you're in this just, you know, exquisite natural place, you know. When you go coming up, or do you know where you're going? We're going down to Pescadero. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's right by... Uh, right by Todos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's about, what? 10 minutes 15 minutes yeah south. yeah no i love it there that's i run man. there all the time there yeah. like out did to el faro and did you go to cerritos yeah all the yeah. time yeah i love that all one. the time that's where yeah. i was learning how to trying yeah. to learn how to surf like yeah. i took a surf lesson from that dude like mario one, i don't know <laughs> one of the one of the dudes yeah. down there you yeah. know mario yeah um uh, but like that place can get a little crazy, Cerritos, but then there's that Scorpion Bay place. Have you heard Have of that? Have you been there? No. Uh, let's go, man. Let's go. It's just, okay. The that wave's so beautiful. It's uh, sand bottom, too. It's man. called Scorpion Bay, too, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And so explain that to people. It's like an endless, long, easygoing it's, wave. It's, it's so long, the wave. It's like a, you can ride There's it like three mile. or four different places that you can catch the wave. Mm-hmm. And then it's so long that you can't paddle back to the, to the takeoff spot. You have to walk, you know. It's, it's crazy. And it's beautiful. The water's clear, warm. And the surf, it can break just like a perfect lake. One of the best waves in the world. Yeah, but it's somewhat gentle too, you know. It's the best place to learn yeah, how to sound. Sounds <laughs> magical. I mean, you can just get pushed into that, and you know, it, the wave's so perfect that you could probably just kind of belly board into it and stand up. So yeah. in your mind, that's the wave you always. Yeah, think that's about. the kind of wave. I, yeah, because there was one wave I caught one day, and I remember I was surfing uh, alone, and I went out and I caught this wave. Man, we used to go down to Mexico for months at a time to surf. Me and my friends, you know. So you've been to Scorpion Bay a bunch, or just a couple? No, I've never been to Scorpion you've Bay. Never been. I, yeah. I've only heard about it too. Yeah, I've yeah. Never been. And I, but um, you know, we found a lot of spots on our own. You know, we go all the yeah. way down to Cabo. You know. Yeah. Why don't you go to Scorpion Bay this time? I want to. It's not that far. From I think there. Robert would like probably s- take. I think it's six hours. Time. Yeah. Six hour drive. From Todos. From, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. No, it's a day trip. Yeah, it's a day trip, right? Yeah. Yeah, and now they have a. You can camp there on the cliff, you know, it's pretty cool. That'd be dope. Yeah, yeah, I'd love it. Are you going to play music when you're down there? No, I'm just going to go hang out. You know, one thing I've done recently that's really been, uh, I felt it last night when we played, but I I've, I've, haven't been working myself as hard as I used to. Uh-huh. And I really kind of told myself it's time to find a different way to tour, you know, and a different way to do this than go out for six weeks at a time all the time constantly you know right um you know this year we've done australia new zealand europe twice and states three times you know right so it was getting to be a little bit much and so i decided that uh, you know so i told management and the booking agent you know i'm not going out for longer than a week a week and a half two weeks max yeah and and I want a lot of time in between. You know, Nancy and I found this wonderful home in in in, in Driftwood. You know, and uh, uh, it's the kind of place that you don't want to leave. You know, right. it's just idyllic and perfect for what we need at this time, right? Yeah. And um, I don't want to. I, I don't want to burn myself out. I I love music so much that I don't want to get to that place. Or it becomes a job a or, or, or tedium of any kind, you know. Can you afford to do that? Yeah. That's a million dollar question. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can. So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I'll finish this book and I want to write a screenplay for the last record I put out, The Crossing. That's interesting. Yeah. To bring it back to film. Yeah, I want to bring it back to film. Do you want to make a film? I want, I want someone to make it for me. Yeah, I love the guy. Uh, I love Guillermo. Uh-huh. You know the guy who did uh, just like water. I think I believe. Yeah, it. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Yeah. What's the What's the film going to be about? What's the album about? What's oh, the, the album's about uh, two young boys. One's from Italy, Puglia, mm-hmm. and the other boy. His name's Salvo, and the other boy's name's Diego. He's from uh, Saltillo in the state of Coahuila, northern Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they meet while they're working at Salvo's uncle's Italian restaurant in. Galveston, Texas. They're working in the kitchen. Right. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever worked... Is this a true story? No. They meet while they're working in the kitchen. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and they start to talk about all the stuff that they love about America, you know. And they love punk rock. They love American punk rock music, you know. Mm -hmm. And they know the history from, you know, um, Shadows of Night and, you know, the Count Five and uh, Limey and the Yanks and the East Side Kids and all those great garage bands from the 60s and late 50s and... Um, they, you know, they love the Velvets and the Dolls and the Stooges and the Ramones, all this stuff. And they also love California punk rock, you know. So they go look and they, and they're like really... Like Black in, Flag or like Circle Jerks or like earlier than that? Yeah, like Zeros and X and all those bands, oh, okay. you know. And so like, um, they also love beat poetry. You know, they love literature. They read a lot, these two kids and... And they also love uh, filmmaking. They love uh, Cassavetes, uh, Peck and Paul, and Antonio Antonioni. Yeah, the guy that made Holy Mountain too. Oh, like Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah, yeah, he's great. But um, so they go, they go, uh, they go uh, looking for this America. That's like this aesthetically free, creative place where you can be a beat poet, where you can be. James Dean, you can be Kerouac, you can be Sam Shepard, whoever, you you know, this great, big, open, free country. And what they do on their journey, they, they travel through Texas and they meet this, uh, they end up, Salvo is killed by a cop and, and Diego, uh, you know, first they go to California and on the way back they gets killed, but uh, they... Um, go to California and they see those punk rock bands that they love. But it's there that they find the community that they're looking for, you know. So the, the record's really kind of like about them and this journey that's part immigration. It wasn't meant to be about immigration necessarily, but it certainly came up in, 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 the, in the songs. Um, and it's about, you know, the journey of being young, you know, and looking yeah. for this idyllic place, this dream. Is it know? like a concept record then? Like a yeah. story? Yeah. Is yeah. this the first time you've done something yeah. of this nature? Like, like well, with a storyline? No, like I've that? always kind of done it. Uh, 13 Years was an album. My second album, that was uh, about, a, 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 uh, about a death, suicide. And that album had theme that ran all the way through it. Mm -hmm. And then there was, um, but I did it musically. It was uh, a theme that it was played through with uh, four different ways, you know, on a harp, um, and then uh, string quartet, and then solo piano, and then uh, piano with uh, like this kind of ebo guitar thing. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and then I did an I did an album. But lyrically, it wasn't like a concept. It was. It yeah. was also. Yeah. yeah. And then. Um, but not not as uh, not as uh, not like literal or something. not as literal as this record is. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, because this is like an exact story. You're it's an exact about story. Kids and yeah. What inspired that story? Being in South Italy, Southern Italy, and having to make a record with Yep Rock it was my first record for them, and uh -huh. I wanted to do something special. So uh, when I was touring with Don Antonio, and do you know them? No. They're out of. Uh, uh, huh. Yeah, they're out of uh, Modigliana, which is outside of uh, Bologna and um, Fienza, right? Fienza, Fienza. And so, uh, anyway, that they played on the record. The Italian band played mm -hmm. on the record. We made the record in Italy, in Via Franca. But what gave you the idea? Like, I know I'm going to write a story well, and like, make every song about this. 
because when I met Antonio Gramanteri, who's the leader of Don Antonio, uh-huh. he's a guitar player. He's a great, great, great guitar player. And we just had all the same interests, you know, Italian yeah. films and French New Wave and the uh-huh. books and rock and roll and, you know, uh, the more literate writers in rock and roll, Cohen, and and, and he turned me on to, like, uh, Paolo Conti, you know. Do you know Paolo Conti's music? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, man. It kills. And he's Italian. Older man now. I think he's in his 80s. Huh. But he makes these beautiful kind of, like... Uh, He's kind of like the Leonard Cohen in a way of Is it Italy. Instrumental, or? but he plays piano and arra- does all the arrangements, and they're very kind of, some kind of Brubeck-like sometimes. Does you know? he sing as and well? And he sings sometimes. Oh, so it's really beautiful. Okay, you got to send me a link. Of yeah, that. I will. And um, so, like you know, we we had just a lot of things in common. And I started thinking about, and they had also come to Texas because to search for the blues, right? They love Jimmy Vaughn and the Vaughn Brothers. They love Austin. They love the whole mystique mm-hmm. about Texas and the blues. So it's based on your friendship with him. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah. you, you just you 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 just uh, made it like with kids, and then one of them one of them passes away. Did you say? Yeah, he's killed. Yeah. Which one are you? Salvo. It's Salvo, the Italian boy. Is is did did he die or did you die? He died. He uh. died because uh, <laughs> he died because uh, he had fallen in love with with someone, and uh, the cop uh, had a, took offense. But in real life, he's alive still. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What does he think of the story? Does he know about it? Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. He helped me write the record. Oh, okay. So he knows. I used that stuff. band. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, but but like I guess what I meant is sometimes people don't know what you're writing about. Like if you like say like, oh, oh I wrote this song about you or me, you know. No, like, wait, but you like, know it's you know it's funny because I didn't write it with that in mind, although it was there somehow. Mm-hmm. But when it came out, we suddenly realized that's us. You know, yeah. you could have taken both of our lives, and that's we're these kids. You know, right. So I don't know. You know, it happened. You described so, it, it sounded just like your story. Right, exactly. But I didn't go into it thinking that it was my story. It's funny. Uh, that shows I'm not a very great writer, but, you know, <laughs> I went in with the attention of it being the story of, of, of a different character altogether. So what's your memoir going to be called? No, no. But you're writing that now? The middle now. third. Are you writing that now? Yeah. I'm writing with this r- great writer called... Uh, his name is John Philip Santos, and he's written two novels. His first novel was up for the National Book Award, and uh, he's a professor in San Antonio, and uh, he's from San Antonio, and he's the first uh, Chicano, Mexican-American Rhodes Scholar. Wow. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I really like him a lot. How do you write with him? How does that work? It's like what you said, conversation. Conversation. Yeah, it's conversation. And I yeah. just sometimes, you know, he... he he wants me to, I write down all my lyrics and send them to him, you know, and mm-hmm. we talk about songwriting a lot. We talk about the words a lot, you know. Maybe he can use this podcast, too. Yeah. Yeah. Be wonderful. Yeah. It's a great cool. podcast. Thanks, man. I love it. You're Thank you great, for having you're me. You're a great guest. No, I don't know. I, I, I led you astray a couple of times, I think. Man, it's been a fascinating journey. I, <laughs> I like, you know, like... You know your mind works in all kinds of well. I, I I love talking to you. It's great. Wonderful ways. Yeah, great conversation. Yeah, man, I love talking to you. You're too. a good hang. Yeah, you're a good you, hang, you, as you we too. Say. This was well. I'm glad this was like the first 
yeah. we've ever weed podcast. <laughs> Do you remember the time we sat in your van? Remember that van and that crazy guy you had helping you? Do you remember that guy? I hope mm. it wasn't me. <laughs> no. Was it you? No, 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 no. no. Where was that, though? I do Lexington, Kentucky, we were at a crazy radio show. Do yeah. you remember that guy? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the so. The tree hugger. The tree hugger. I think he called himself a tree hugger. Michael something. Uh, tour manager? Yeah. Were you tour manager? Not at those years. I tour managed him like in 2010. I, I was never in Kentucky with him, though. You weren't? No. You sure? <laughs> yes. I remember. Lexington. When he had his van? The van. That tricked out famous. van? Yes. Yeah. That was great. That was a hit van. The man, man. Was, was alive and Don't you well. remember that guy brought yeah. over that that box he had built? One of the crew guys had a box, a case. Uh-huh. And he had his <laughs> bottle of bourbon inside with like four shot glasses in there. Hmm. And he came over and gave us a bunch Lexi. of bourbon. And we were just in my van, huh? Yeah, we were smoking in your van stuff. Didn't we go out to a restaurant? Yeah, too? we went out later. Yeah, cause, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. After that show. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. But the first time we played together was in Toronto. That's right. That beautiful theater. Yeah. What's it called? I was intimidated. What's it called? Town Hall? Uh, I, I don't remember. Where did Neil Young used to play in Toronto? Massey Hall. Massey Hall. That's where we played. Yeah. yeah. So Joe was on the road with you for like a full tour or was it mm -hmm. random shows? No. We just would meet every now and then. And then he, I, Joe played a show with me at the City Winery once, you know. Okay, I'll, I'm just going to make a comment, not a question. Okay. All right. Is that the way you said Jesse said his career and everything, you were just describing yourself, just a side comment. That I was I, describing myself? Yes, because I feel you did set it up to a way where you're It's funny, well, but I was also now. telling you that I wasn't very ambitious. Right, so but everything kind of happened by chance. And, you know, I've always felt like my brothers taught me, my older brothers taught me that, you know, it was always, you know, to be so, to be just good to people right you know when you travel when you play um and so i always tried to leave a good vibe behind you know we were always the band that like you know joseph same way you know we would party with you know the st they would close the bar we'd have already played for two hours or so close the bar we just get our acoustics out and play all night long for the staff and whoever's hanging out you know so we always left good feeling around you know good vibes and um i think that that and the fact that you know i was really fucking lucky to make records with great producers and great musicians and uh they you know they interpreted the songs beautifully so you know just making records that weren't i certainly never had a hit never had anything close to real design. animal was kind of a hit was it i mean yeah I guess in this world it, it would be. It was, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, but just consistency has a lot to do with it, too, you know, and never giving up, just kind of being so intent on doing this that nothing was going to stop me. I mean, Hep C didn't stop me, you know, and very easily could have, you know, and um, a lot of things didn't stop me. The record industry didn't stop me, you know, and that's that's a beast that's you know that's a that's a no-win battle in a way you know how'd you beat hep c well four years ago i mean okay so i was super sick right i was yeah. really fucking sick when i got sick when my body gave out in arizona 
and I collapsed on stage. When they took me to the emergency room and they admitted me into the hospital, they basically said I was going to die within a year if I didn't get a liver transplant. Right? Wow. And so they put me on this medicine, interferon, and it was so strong, you know. It was yeah. like what they used to give, like, cancer patients and yeah. stuff, right? Almost like chemo vibe. It's chemo, yeah. Yeah. But intense, man. And yeah. it just was so bad that I was supposed to be on for six months, but it was making me worse. The medicine was worse than the disease itself, you know. Mm -hmm. So I got off it. And by chance, I'd found these... I uh, went to go see a group of llamas... Uh, deconstruct the uh, sand painting that they had made, you know? Have you ever seen that ceremony? No. They did these beautiful mandalas on uh, out of sand in different colors. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And then they just destroy it, you know? And you can take home a little bit of the sand and stuff, you know? Huh. So I went to these, you know, and, and there was a woman there. They also throw away, they have massive, on the altar, they have massive uh, bouquets of flowers, bunches of flowers, beautiful. And they just kind of throw them away. So I was taking some flowers, and this other woman was. And we started talking. I told her what my situation was. She said, this group of llamas is, are coming through Houston, Texas. You should go see them. They, they have a doctor with them, you know. Uh -huh. So I went, and I saw them. And I got, uh, there was this old Rinpoche who gave me the uh, transmission for um, the medicine Buddha practice. You mm -hmm. know? What's his name? Rinpoche? Rinpoche, yeah. yeah. What's his first name? I you can't know? remember. I can't remember yeah, either. Yeah. But um, so then I saw the doctor, and you know, Tibetan doctors were amazing because um, they uh, they touch you first. They take your pulse, they read your tongue, and then you have to urinate, and they read your urine. You know, but right away he told me, he goes, "You don't have liver cancer, and you're going to be okay." You know, don't worry you know. mm -hmm. so he put me on this medicine which is basically these uh, uh, like uh, medicine like balls of uh, herbs and, and whatever you know what's Medici in them yeah what's in them all kinds of them they're all different and they all did different things right huh. so um, so I did that and then I started to feel a little better right away like within two weeks, you could tell the difference, you know. I was on my deathbed at one point. I couldn't make it to the mailbox, you know. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly two weeks later, I'm a different person, you know. Right. So then I found this other Tibetan doctor. Her name is Dr. Diki Naragosha. And she's in, she travels to San Francisco, Berkeley, L.A., Tucson. And uh, I went to go see her and she became my doctor. And she kind of like kept me alive until about four years ago when they came up with the, the new medicine. And it's a combination that has a 99% success rate, I think. And I took it. Nancy and I had moved to Dallas. I took the medicine. And I got better within three months or six months. And it's gone. Hep C's gone? Yeah. Yeah, it's cleared? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I owe it all to Dr. Deakey and my other doctor in Austin, Dr. Brode. You know, he helped me immensely. That's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, they always kind of told me, you know, if you can hang on, there's going to be a cure one day, you know. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because 
I started working for the Prevent Cancer Foundation, you know, mm-hmm. and and on a program that they have, an ad campaign about uh, think about the link it's called, and it's the link between hepatitis A, uh, hepatitis B, C, HPV, and liver cancer, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like the leading cause of living liver cancer, those three diseases. So I started doing that, and through that, I you know, I just felt like you know this medicine had been like a miracle really you know yeah it really was incredible it was like weird because like the first two days i took it i started to feel like i had felt the first time i tried interferon i thought oh shit i can't go through this again and it was all herbal just like bundles of no this is now this is a western medicine oh then you went back oh this is what cured me finally right and i really was starting to feel it was like it was starting to work. The liver was starting to dysfunction okay. pretty badly. So I misunderstood the story. I thought it was like the herbal things from the llama. Well, they they kind of kept me alive all those years. Think uh, about that. That was like they, they said I had a year to live. Suppressed the disease. And, so and so and from two thousand three or four to uh, two thousand eighteen. And right? what what was the name of the drug that 15. ultimately cured you? What's that called again? Uh, Elysio. Savaldi. Alicio Savaldi. And Savaldi. It's two and different. Yeah. And now is that known widely yeah. as like the cure and yeah. it's curing and everybody there's a, there's now? There's several different combinations of pills now that uh, will do it. Yeah. But, you know, you think about, you know, for me it was distressing because that that program to cure yourself cost $80,000. That's crazy. And let's say, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they put in to research these things, you know. But let's say they put in five million bucks to research this medicine. And it only costs $300 to manufacture that medicine. And yet they charge us $80,000. That's know? crazy. To save a life. Yeah, there's yeah. a value To on, fucking on save a life. life. Yeah. That's fucked up. Sinful, man. Yeah. So, anyway. but But I did get rid of it, you know. Fucking congratulations. Thank you, yeah. I mean, you look great. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, I you, feel good. You got a young energy. <laughs> For real. It's called immaturity, I think. Nah, it's like, I, I honestly, man, it's it's just that music and living your passion yeah. and, and, and remaining on that. Also not being too comfortable, like having to still right. like work for survival, exactly, man. but have it not be soul destroying. That keeps you young. Yeah, man. Like what's better than that? Yeah, d- nothing. Nothing. Because I think that, uh, like you said, the the great part of that is that, you know, we're still uncomfortable in this. You know, we're still working to find that thing in music all the time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to write a better song, to write a more interesting melody or whatever it is, you know. I never feel like I've gotten there, you know. There's still so much more to find out. Yeah. You know? And so that discovery part of it, that mystery part of it is what i love so much i mean really that's the thing for me yeah Yeah. that's like the fountain of youth yeah to a degree yeah and i have lovely you know lovely wife yeah lovely dog lovely house lovely place lovely kids and a house that lovely friends that you want to spend more lovely podcasts that i get to be part of it's all good man and how long is about how long have you had this new house just a couple months. But uh, we've only been there maybe a month. Yeah. Wow. 
And it's like you just love being there. I'm sorry? You just love being there? Oh, man. When we look out from our porch in the back, uh, you see nothing but uh, trees to the horizon. Mm -hmm. And it's hidden from this road by quarter of a mile little you know driveway you know yeah and it's uh mostly cedar and live oak and there's a uh, red angus roaming the property uh cattle mm-hmm. and there's deer road runners rattlesnakes you know it's a it's the wild west do you hunt no 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 i don't kill anything except scorpions yeah that's at, at scorpion bay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Man, well, that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Man, there's something about that space. I just, you know, it's, it's, we realize it's, you know, we were both born in Texas, Nancy and I, so um, it's just really part of our lives, you know, that Southwest and yeah. that space, you know, Texas, there's nothing like it, man. Yeah, and now this is a good time for you to have a, like a, you know, a place outside of society yeah, a little bit. Yeah, man. Because the world's going apeshit. Come, come in, uh, We'll do the microdose thing. Yeah, I need to come there and like, uh, you know, set up a bunker in case the world goes. We'll get down. you. A, yeah, you know what? We I just want, need a tent. I want you to help me build a sweat. Yeah, I'd love to have a nice sweat on property. Uh, that's a good be, idea. Yeah, that's like some Robert Bly type shit. Yeah, yeah, and we can build it way out in the woods so it's nobody would find it. You know? Yeah, what's that like a sweat lodge? Yeah. Have you ever done that? Yeah. What's that like? Oh, it's amazing, man. And there's different kinds, all different types, but it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. That's like a transcendental, like, yeah, healing Yeah, it's very type healing, of, very yeah. cleansing. It's awesome. All right. I'll come help. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's we have, like, our property is, is big, really big. And then there's access to, you know, even more land because... And it turned out that our friend owns the home, you know, so I'm going to try to work out a thing where eventually we'll buy it, you know, hopefully. Oh, really? Yeah. Randomly and you know the person? Very well, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And he owns tons of property. It's called, uh, well, I shouldn't say the name, but it's a big ranch. And yeah. It's, it's really big. Cool. Yeah. A lot of space, man, for a man like you. Well, you you gonna, need a lot of space. I, I do need a lot of space. New York doesn't suit me in that way. Yeah, I know. You know, I I do want more space. I thought you were so comfortable on the beach. You know, I am. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. like Totos. I almost, I got an apartment. You oh, know? you did? Yeah, but then we started this podcast. I got an. I was gonna go. I was gonna go live in in Todos Santos. I was like, you know, really. You can't sh- do the podcast from there. Well, I mean, we're doing it together, oh. you know, and it's New York and also like... You don't want to go to Mexico. <laughs> He's got to. a family, but like also it's, you know, people come through here, we can interview, right, you know, so it was so. like the the podcast in a large way kind of kept me here, Yeah. you know, but I love it here too. So like once I'm here, it's, great it's not just this that, yeah, yeah. you know, it's New York, it's I amazing. It. So yeah. it's like, but were you, yeah. Were you born here? No, Ohio. Oh, but uh, where? Uh, Akron. Oh, in Akron. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Man. Yeah, Rubber City Rebels. And yeah, Chrissy yeah, Hine. Chris, Chrissy Hine. You know? Do you know? Black did Keys. you know her brother's band? Yeah, the Numbers Band. I love that Terry band. Hine. I saw them play, man. Saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. No, so they're great. they're incredible. They were in Cleveland or are in Cleveland for yeah. like so did many years. Did you know years. Cheetah from there? Who? Cheetah Chrome. I don't think so. The Dead Boys. No, no. I didn't. No. 
And Devo are from there? Yeah. A lot of people. The first time I saw Devo, they were so great, man. One time I played a gig with Judy Nylon in Minneapolis where they brought, it was called like M80 or something like that. Uh -huh. And they brought bands from the East Coast and the West Coast. And mostly like arty kind of bands, you know? Yeah. Into Minneapolis to play. And we played in this big football kind of stadium thing. And on the Sunday, uh, uh, Devo played a, they were called Dove. And they did nothing but, it was, you know, it was Devo, and, uh, but they were called Dove. They did nothing but gospel music, you know, in the Devo way. Right. It was really amazing. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. And I saw this band from Boston called The Girls. Really one of the best bands I've ever seen. Never heard from them again, though. How many people do you encounter on the road that are just like insanely talented, like that, and then you never hear about them again? Quite like, a bit. Quite a bit, yeah, right? It's pretty like, alarming, really. Yeah, I remember when I toured more, I would yeah. like run across like the most talented yeah. people of all time, like yeah. at, you know, like every other week. Yeah. One time there was a, I remember with Jesse Mallon, we were in Antwerp and mm -hmm. uh, playing his gig in the winter, and the guy that opened up, the first guy was named like general or captain something or other uh -huh. he was killing i mean he was amazing just him on guitar and singing yeah but he's a brilliant guitar player and great singer great songs and you know never heard anything about him ever again what was he when, called captain general something oh, or general captain, yeah and we listened to his records his records were beautiful but he just never traveled, I guess. It's just, it, to me, it's just indicative of the fact that even to, like, make an artistic life is, like, you have to have a certain kind of will mm -hmm. for that. You do. And persistence, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and need, straight up. Also need, you know? You know, I think about, we were talking about Jesse's thing, and I was thinking about your your thing, which started with, Peter Gabriel, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you got you you recorded for Real World or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few that's hours. pretty heady stuff. I mean, that's amazing. It was real heady. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brian Eno sang on my first record, Shit. and you know, Peter like, Gabriel, and unbelievable. <laughs> you know, a little background thing, but still, like it's that kind fuck. of just being in that environment exactly was crazy. Especially because you know, I never went to college. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I was working you know minimum wage at a guitar shop. Yeah. Like a month before, and then all of a sudden, I was in that situation. So great. It was, yeah, very dream come true, like, you know, but not even a dream I had because I just, you know, I couldn't have, I didn't even know Peter Gabriel had a record label. You know what I mean? I wasn't like savvy in that way. Yeah, yeah. And it happened by total chance. It's so awesome. I gave man. a tape to a friend. Really? That's yeah. how it happened? That's how it happened. Wow. He gave it to somebody who gave it to somebody who yeah. used to work for Peter Gabriel, and then he called, and then Peter listened to it and called me. So cool, man. Crazy. And then how many records did you make with him? Like, I don't know, like three or four. Oh, you made three or four? Yeah. Wow. And then I came back on their label for, like, you know, put out some records recently yeah. on their label, you know. Yeah. That's so cool, man. It was cool. How, what happened to you? How'd you get, what was your first label experience or like, did that? Well, the nuns never got signed to a label. No. And then Rank and File got signed to uh, Slash Records out in L.A., which was a cool label. Uh-huh. It was like the L.A. Um, indie, indie punk rock label. And know? so you guys were kind of punk? Well, we came from punk rock bands. Right. Know? Yeah. But we were playing kind of 
this hybrid of music, you know, kind of had more Western flavor to it and, and punk rock too, you know. Called uh, Rank and File. Rank and File, yeah. That yeah. was Tony and Chip Kinman. Okay. Tony was brilliant. Chip's a great guitar player. And they sang together kind of Everly Brothers harmonies. You mm-hmm. know? Oh, you didn't sing? No, I didn't write or sing. Oh, you I played just played rhythm guitar. Oh, yeah. cool. And then, um, and then from that we went to the True Believers. And, you know, it's, it was funny because I left Rank and File when uh, the, the band started to get more, kind of more serious and more, you know, they got Warner Brothers picked up Slash, so now we were a Warner Brothers band. And uh, I, it, it, was, it didn't fit me, so I left. So, the, the, like, success was pending and you were like, I'm out? Kind of well, the band was starting to feel really kind of uh, uncomfortable, you know. They were kind of buying into it, and I wasn't buying into it. And the manager that they found was horrible. And did know. they did they prevail when you left, or did they like dissolve? No, they kept making records. They weren't very good records. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they kept. They stayed the course. Yeah, and you went to the True Believers, and then we started the True Believers. My brother and John D. Graham. And that's yeah. Yeah, and that was a cool band, and that was a, just a rock and roll, three piece, three guitars. Did you sing and write songs? Yeah, that that's year? when I first started writing songs yeah. and singing and singing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I wrote for the True Believers, and then um, we were on um, EMI, mm. and then how many we, records? Well, we made one. And the record was produced by Jim Dickinson. Wow, big star! And we're the ones that we're the ones that kind of brought Jim out of his retirement, you know. Uh, why did you like big stars? I loved all, all everything he'd ever touched. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, you know, he, he played on uh, played piano on the uh, uh, oh god, what's uh, Wild Horses? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he played, uh, uh, what's that other song, City of New Orleans? Uh, Arlo Guthrie did a version. Anyway. There was like a documentary about him recently. Uh, he was the greatest, man. I love that man. And you know, his kids are, are doing so well. You know, Luther. Yeah. Um, the North Mississippi All-Stars. They're incredible. And uh, I saw Luther recently, and we were talking about that. And he says, yeah, you, you guys brought my dad out of retirement. You know? How many records did you make with him? Just you? the one. Oh, okay. And then something happened in the band. Again, the label uh, wanted a, a more uh, kind of representative record and kind of like a more... So we went with a producer by the name of Jeff, Jeff Glicksman was his name. Uh-huh. And he had produced the Georgia Satellites and they just had that hit with... Uh, I got uh, I got coins in my coins pocket. Coins in my pocket, yeah, yeah. ready to roll. Yeah. yeah. So so they had had a hit with that, and Rick, everybody Rick, was into that. What's his name? Rick, the guitar Rick player. Richards. Rick Richards, right. Rick Richards and yeah, Danny Atlanta, Beard. Atlanta. Yeah, Danny Beard, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, so then we used Glicksman, and he was very much a 70s producer. He got a bigger sound and everything. And then... Wait, so what are the names of these records for people that want to follow along and get First one's First. True Believers. Okay, that's just self-titled yeah. debut. And, and then, then the... S- the second one's oh, wait, what? Yeah, and then the second one's called... Well, here's this... Let me finish the story, because the second one never came out. Oh. Uh. So what happened was EMI had a uh, business meeting. They were changing from... The president got kicked out, and they were 
bringing in the President of Manhattan Records, which was a kind of disco R&B soul label, mm -hmm. to take over. They had a meeting one day and they had a chopping block and they they eliminated like 16 bands in one day. Wow. Like the Neville Brothers. Um, I think the Delords were part of that. We were part of it. Nona Hendrix. All these different people, you know. And uh, and so the record didn't come out. Bummer. And we paid so much to make the record. This producer cost a lot of money that we couldn't sell the record to anybody else. You know? Do you have it? Is yeah. It, is it mastered? Well, then what or? happened was like 10 years later, yeah. Ryko Disc put it out as a twofer. Okay, great. Yeah. What's that and called? It's called Hard Road, but you can't find it anymore. It's out of print. But uh. it was great. It was uh, the two albums and remastered yeah. and everything. So it's, it sounded better. Yeah. And then what happened after True Believers? True Believers broke up after the, all of that happened. You know, and we went from manager and manager and it was all bullshit. So we broke up slowly, kind of fell apart at the wheels. You know, the wheels just came off and we then, uh, and that's when I started playing solo. Okay. I had a band called Buke McCain. I started out having an orchestra. I used to do these shows at La Zona Rosa on Sunday mm -hmm. and I'd invite all the best jazz players and salsa players in town to come and play and we just improvise. I just start playing songs, you know. So you weren't doing the acoustic guitar thing? I, I had an acoustic guitar, uh, sometimes electric, but and yeah, you'd mostly. you have a huge acoustic. orchestra with you? Yeah, and this huge orchestra. I had, you know, four piece horn section. Uh, have you ever made a record like that? No. That would be maybe yeah. an interesting yeah, idea. Like make, I could yeah. see that acoustic and yeah. then super orchestra like the one you just described. Yeah. So anyway, that, so I, I had that, and but then when it came time to make my first solo album, Stephen Bruton produced it, and and uh, he, he didn't want the orchestra, and he wanted to make me a record that I could go play by myself or duo, trio, quartet, whatever, mm -hmm. and get out on the road and start. And so, like, I was working at Waterloo Records, right? And the record came out while I was working there, and reviews started to come in about <laughs> how great good? the record was. You yeah, know, good what was that called? Uh, that was Gravity. Gravity. Yeah. Did you sell your record to anyone at the store? And I had to sell my own record at <laughs> the store, funny. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when did you make the records with Tony Visconti next? That was much later, no. Oh, much I later. I made three with Bruton. Okay. We made uh, Gravity, 13 Years, which was the first kind of concept one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the second one was called With These Hands. Uh, and uh, that one had uh, Jennifer Warren's on it, Willie Nelson on it. And T-Bone Burnett was on it. That's incredible. It was a cool record. I like that record. So you were kind of feeling success then. Like you must have Well, been something. I wasn't working in the record store anymore by then. Right. You know? And you had a fan base. I got a, somewhat of a fan base, you know? Yeah. It took a while and because... respect from the industry. You know, because people expected you to be like the true believers, you know? They thought I was just going to come out with a rock band. And I was making completely different records using strings. And my first solo tours were with cello and violin, you know, mm. and acoustic. That's interesting. Yeah. Still rock and roll based or not really? Yeah, but oh. not really. Kind of like, really kind of like uh, doing more what like John Cale and Cohen were doing in a way. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that began the whole thing. But we were using strings. Because Street Hassle was always such a big influence on me. Yeah, what about that record? 
I love it too. Everything about it. Everything about it. It's so the songs interesting. are fucking amazing. Yeah. The words are, are incredible. There's the no sweet. other attitude like that record. That, that re- suite is just so beautiful, and the way they recorded it. Yeah. And the way he used strings on it, you know. Um, those two records, Street Hustle and Paris 1919 by Kale, you know, huh. were the two records I kind of started to model this thing on. You know. So you're a fan of the strings. I love strings, yeah. Yeah. What about them? Well, the cello, first of all, I love that it's, it sounds kind of human sometimes yeah. to me, you know, and it really hits that sonar thing where uh, it feels, I feel it inside me, you know. Right. And with my songs, it seems to fit perfectly, you know, and the way I play also, you know, yeah. kind of real minimal, and I let the strings kind of do the work. And that soaring up top thing, too, like creating a little beautiful counter melody mm-hmm. is like so emotional. Mm-hmm. The, that's it. It's you the know? emotional thing. Yeah. And then violins, I love. Violas, I really love, you know. Yeah. I love violas, you know. And so I started, you know, I, I started touring with a string quartet. And uh, that was really amazing. That's awesome. Two cellos, violin, viola, and two acoustics. When's the last time you did that? It was years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been years. Do you write string arrangements? No. But I, I write the melodies somehow, you yeah. know, with the guitar. I, but I don't write the arrangements, no. Yeah. So Visconti was like a killer fit for you. He was so great, yeah. Yeah. I love Tony. He's a good, good man. He yeah. just he's recording his new album and he's doing a song that we co-wrote which is cool yeah well are you guys getting tired i'm not <laughs> well i mean how long have we been going uh, two hours yeah that's uh, long I, I we could wrap it up i just wanted to ask you one one question may i For oh ten. my god <laughs> You can't ask the last question. No, not the last questions. With with all the <laughs> whose sh- who show is this? With, exactly. With all the thank that's you. What you the, <laughs> that's, that's what you should call the that's what you should call the podcast. It's clear. It's I'm like, asked three questions. Call the podcast. Dude, hey, look, I got the perfect dude, time. That's dude. not true dude. at all. Man. I got the we'll count. <laughs> we 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 we'll can talk about we chosen. No, <laughs> whose podcast is this, bro? I don't know. Sometimes, <laughs> honestly, like he, you know, <laughs> I don't want to wrap it up. Sorry, we're doing this house cleaning in front of you. <laughs> You guys should watch that YouTube video, I think. Which one? About couples? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we've we've had this uh this is this discussion before. I love Ehud and I love him asking questions. Yeah. But it's like with a conversation it's like If it's got like, a flow, it's, it's got, got a flow, flow and yeah. you gotta you gotta deep, you gotta like leave space because then what happens is I start feeling like I have to beat him to the next question so then I become yeah. less relaxed too and because the pace I'm like gets a little because, and up. then this pace gets fucked up because then I'm like oh let me get, make sure that he doesn't take over the conversation and the as, as we tell our musicians sometimes or I tell mine <laughs> you know read the marquee on the way out you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quote of the year right there <laughs> love it Oh, just kidding. Uh, yeah, are we going to keep that in? <laughs> I'll see how it, you know. How it reads. How it reads. How yeah. it reads. Well, you can, like, judge the, you'll see the podcast. Exactly. You'll see the f- how many follow-ups. We'll, ca- we'll do a count. We'll do a count. But well, that, you know, that, that, that works very well into, like, what you were saying about songwriting, you know, the, the collaborations, mm-hmm. because... <laughs> You're addressing me. I'm saying yes. <laughs> Oh my God! He said, er- <laughs> he said earlier. <laughs> you feel me? Anyway. Well, I was just talking about you know, 
this collaboration that yeah relationship that you guys have it's yeah. very much like songwriting sometimes you know exactly so like if you're on if you're onto something in a song mm -hmm. i would just sit back let the guy kind of you know do it because if you if you start to invade that space it's yeah. not cool you know you know the other thing i hate about people will ask you is that song about me sometimes you know it's like don't ask me that you know it's not a question to us it's too personal of a thing right you know but people assume well, that's why i was asking about i mean I, I, when i write friend. a song about someone i usually tell them you know yeah sometimes i don't i mean sometimes i i write songs that uh it's funny how songs sometimes unveil themselves to you as what they really are about you know yeah do you know what i mean yeah for sure it's crazy it's uh, it's 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 spooky sometimes that you know, it's almost like uh, this kind of self-prophecy kind of thing or something. You know, you, you sing something and then suddenly these events in the song become reality. You know? It's really true. You yeah. breathe things. You got to be careful that yeah, way. Yeah, you do. Because you, you really breathe do. things into an existence. Exactly. Yeah. The power of words. Well, it's pretty powerful stuff, words, you know. Yeah. Well, there was like first came the word. Yeah. Yeah. So... Texas, you're gonna come visit us. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, or we meet in Mexico. Either, either way. Yeah, I wonder if are you gonna be there? You're gonna be there a month. A month, yeah. Are you gonna go back in the winter, or that this is the winter? Yeah, in January. Oh, in January. Yeah, yeah, maybe then. Yeah, we're going in January because, uh, you know, Texas is kind of miserable in January. We're gonna go. Yeah. Getting some nice weather and water, and just kind of chill, man. I'm gonna throw my phone away. Yeah. Into the ocean, a ritual. Yeah. Oh, really? No. Yeah. For real? <laughs> it's a ritual. Well, I'm gonna make it one. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. things are evil, I think. You know. Absolutely. I mean, they're necessary, I guess, but. It's a necessary evil. It's Ugh. a tracking device. Yeah. I think it's really kind of hurt our society. You know, our society has become something else because. With the aid of these things, not necessarily solely because of these things, but technology has become so invasive, right? That you can't get away and be your, your you know, just yourself. You know, you be by yourself. You well, know? and they're li it's listening all the yeah, time. It's yeah. there's like we're being monitored all the exactly, time, yeah. and it's like the energy of that is crazy. And then now with five G, I don't know if you know anything about that. Like mm -mm. the newest you know i guess antenna speed or whatever you want to say what it's called like it's called 5g and it's supposed to be much more jarring on hu like on humanity like oh really yeah like it's heavier it works faster but there's so there's more radioactivity or whatever you want to call it did you feel that when like you first played a cd over and listened to it on headphones how harsh it was it seemed after vinyl yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it yeah. used to hurt my ears, actually, you know. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like, it's also, you know, it was just more fidelity. On vinyl? No, on CD. You like think so? Just, well, it's, it's a certain kind of fidelity, I guess. Well, it was it was more precise, I more guess. More precise, yeah. yeah. But I don't like, cause want to vinyl, hear that all the time. No, of course yeah. not. Like, vinyl's like looking at a photograph that's done on film that has a little texture mm -hmm. like it actually helps the thing you know where cd is like more of like a probably clear are you like an audio file do you no not really are yeah. you 
Well, we have, yeah, I love turntables and old speakers and things yeah. like that, yeah. Come over and we'll play you some stuff, blast it. You know? I would love it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cool. But, you know, I, I love, I love the sound of uh, those old speakers and turntables and amps, you know, and they're powerful, you know, so. Which ones do you have? Well, we have these old 70s Sansui power amps and stuff, and uh -huh. then we've got, uh, uh, big, we got a lot of speakers, but we have like these old clips that are like voice of the theaters. They're huge, you know, like what they used to use in movie theaters a long time ago. I don't know. Oh, they're amazing. And so they look got, like horns? Not yeah. horns, but they're big, big, big speakers. Oh, okay. Big old, like, you know. Oh, I see. Boxes. And then we've got these uh, great, we bought these 1978 uh, Altec Lansings that I love. They really wow. sound great, yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to come over. Yeah, come over. Well, well, microdose and listen to records all the time. That sounds like a date. Yeah, it's fun, man. Love well, to have you. Man, Take you out for Mexican food. Thanks for doing the podcast. Oh, I love it. Thank you very much. Here, just before you go, though. Pick a card? Pick a card. Mine is, imagine yourself in the future. What will your greatest life accomplishment be? Am I supposed to answer that? Yeah. Um, I'll live to be 125 I love years it. old. You've only just begun. Yeah. This is midlife. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's the middle third, yeah. It's the middle, middle third. middle third of my life. Well, cool, man. Thanks for doing oh, this. Oh, I love it. Thanks a lot. Thanks to both yeah. of you. Thank the you. Si the silent partner. Sorry we got into a fight. No, that's okay. I was in a fight. Okay. <laughs> I feel like a dick. <laughs> no, <it's good. laughs> no, no, no. It was all good. But I was, trying to be I was trying to be meta. Like, you know, like just go ahead and just say everything. Well, I think it was important to do that. It was that kind of podcast today. Yeah, it was, dude, it was, it was heavy, great. man. I got to say, like, just listening to you, it, it, it could just... You know, your energy does start to fade after a while, but it could just go on forever with you. <laughs> like, you're like, uh, you know, you got a lot of, I don't know, man, a lot of beautiful stories. Thank you for oh, sharing those. The things about Towns Van Zandt yeah. and just like, man, we, I feel like we've covered so many different One day avenues. I'll, the next time I'll tell you some of the nun stories, which are great with Bowie and Iggy and stuff. Okay, yeah. you can go. we can go out with one of those. Well, the great... Uh, it, there was this one one night when uh, Bowie was playing um, I think it was the Idiot Tour mm -hmm. and Bowie was playing uh, with Iggy keyboards band. yeah in Iggy's band in Iggy's band and we went back to the Mabuhay Gardens after the show and they made a big dinner for us once again we're sitting at a table so it's the nuns and Bowie and Iggy you know and Iggy was going to produce the nuns I mm -hmm. think that was it. they say that the story goes that there was a big uh, trash can full of cassettes that bands had given Bowie, you know, and Bowie and Iggy were working together, and they picked the three they loved the most was uh, Perubu, The Nuns, and Devo, I think, were the wow. three bands they picked. So we're having dinner with them, and it's all really good, and of course, you know, it's fucking David Bowie and Iggy Pop, so we're a little starstruck, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. We were young kids, and 
And this other guy comes over and starts to kind of, and he was a somewhat famous uh, singer here in New York at the time. But he came over and started to be really bitchy and started to kind of make fun of the nuns, you know, kind of dish. Why? This, oh, that we were like uh, adoring these rock stars and just uh, kind of like giving us a bunch of shit. Yeah. So Iggy tells this guy, he goes, these are my friends. He goes, get on your knees and apologize. So Iggy made him get on his knees and apologize to the whole How table. How did he do that? He just did it. Yeah. You know, not through physical intimidation. No, no, just but through authority of some kind. Huh? Know? Some ghostly authority. Yeah, some ghostly kind of like just kind of presence that said, "Yeah, get you on your knees and apologize, guys." And the guy was a little uh, didn't seem like a fighter kind of guy or anything. You mm -hmm. know, he was just kind of a weak kind of character, and uh, he did it. You know, yeah. And uh, it was a little embarrassing. It was a little weird. You know pretty strange but then we all continued to have a great party with David Bowie and Iggy Pop yeah who I I used to see Iggy all the time I saw the Stooges quite a bit in Hollywood when I lived there you know were you friends with did you like you must have seen Bowie a lot too no? I saw Bowie yeah yeah like also uh, did Tony Visconti ever bring him in the studio or did you meet him no no I never got to meet him like that I know I wish I had but no yeah. And um, yeah, Bowie was Bowie was an amazing artist. I mean, he's just so you know such a great presence and beautiful man. That he was a cool guy. You know, he's great. Yeah. He's easy to talk to. Super intelligent. Had a great memory. Whenever I'd see him, any time after that, he would always remember. You know where we met and blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. Beautiful guy. That's awesome. I miss him. He died on my birthday. When he passed away, it was my birthday, yeah. Wild. We're both Capricorns. Really? Yeah. Kind of kindred. Yeah, it was heavy. Remember that? We were, we had just finished the, was it the Leonard, the Hurricane show or the Leonard Cohen show? Yeah, we did a big show in Austin where Nancy and I, uh, we're, we were involved in a, a, a hurricane on our honeymoon, Category 5 hurricane, which is what Sandy was and Katrina was. So, you know, 175 mile an hour winds, and we endured 12 hours of this. We said goodbye to each other. We thought it was the end. We were on the beach. I remember. I remember hearing about you guys yeah. going through that. And we then spent a week trying to get out of, of Mexico, and it was, it was pretty crazy insane experience and uh so when we came back we didn't realize we had ptsd right and right away i did a show with ian mcclagan and ian and i had worked on a kink song together and it was a benefit uh concert and we did it together and then we went off on tour with the fauntleroys this band with ivan julian and then linda Pittman, uh -huh. myself and nick tremulous you know and then uh, we came back, and I was going to tour with Pete and Scott and those guys on the West Coast. We had like two months, I think, of a touring. And we were going to go from Seattle all the way down, up, up, and all the way back, and start on a record. Mm -hmm. What Bill Rifflin was drumming then, you know. Uh, amazing band, and fucking just writing great songs. And then I started to get these brain seizures, like... Uh, 
I just kind of like start to go into this psychedelic kind of like weird, you know, I'd, I'd start to uh, say things that were funny, but kind of crazy and surreal and just not myself. Interesting. In front, and then it happened at a gig. Oh, really? Where I was walking, we were walk, we got into the gig, it was sold out in Portland, and we walked up the stairs, and I suddenly got, I told, I tugged on Nancy, she was walking in front of me, I talked to her, I said, I don't think I can play in front of all these people. Yeah. And she said, you know, you've played in front of thousands of people, what, what, right. what you're, you're fine. And I walked up, and I went to the dressing room, and I sat down, and suddenly it started to happen. And Scott and Pete and those guys had just gotten off stage, the minus five. Right. And they had killed, and the crowd was crazy and ready to go. And and suddenly I started saying all this crazy stuff, like, you know, about Portland and about David Grohl. For some reason, he came in the conversation. <laughs> and, uh, like, all this strange stuff. And they took me to the emergency room. That was the third time it had happened. Yeah. So the next day, after they didn't find anything, they, uh, but more people were asking about the hurricane, I remember, right? We told them about it, Nancy told them about it. So, so then we got back, we took a day off, we canceled one gig, and then we got back in the van, and we were gonna drive down, I got a call from Pete, and Pete said, we're gonna cancel the tour. He goes, I don't want you to go through this, and you know, I don't want what happened to, Bill Berry to happen to you so mm. you know we lost a lot of money or whatever but you know and the tour was doing really well I think a lot of the shows were already sold out and stuff you know yeah and then um took me I don't know we, we went got all these tests at some of the best doctors in the Berkeley area in the Bay Area and uh, uh, they couldn't find anything you know but they're consistently becoming more interested in the hurricane. Right, so they're kind of they're, they're honing kind of saying in on they're keen in on like this stress. might have something to do with it. Is this a common symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder, or is this some real? Unusual I'm not sure. Shit? I think it affects everyone in different ways. Yeah. so I'm not sure. But uh, so then, uh, then I found my Tibetan doctor again, mm -hmm. Doctor Diki. Yeah. And, and she was in Berkeley, and I said, let me just call her on a whim. I think we'd seen every doctor already. Nobody could find anything. And we we went and saw her. She had. She made room for us. We went and saw her. And um, she says, you have adrenal, f you've exhausted your adrenal gland mm -hmm. completely. And you have PTSD. And so what's, you know, what's the remedy for that? She goes, you, you, you like need to sleep for three months, basically. Right. You know? Just total like rest and healing. And I couldn't do it. Yeah. I fucking had to make up money for the loss on the tour. I had musicians to pay, road managers yeah. to pay, vans to pay. So we went back to work again, you know. And then we started to get help. We went to a therapist and we started to get help. And that helped a lot. At least we knew what we had and what we were dealing with, you know. So, you bo so you, how did yours manifest? I became more hypervigilant and sensory sensitive. And <clears throat> it was like the very first show that Alejandro had played once we got back I went to sound check and it was like I had never been to a rock show before the sound of everything hit me and I was like whoa okay what is this and I think too um, I work in film and television so I'm used to troubleshooting a lot usually I'm head of the department and that kind of 
that got shot into overdrive too. So I had to learn just how to turn everything down, you know, and just to, and slowly it started to get better, but I think it was a conscious effort too of just being aware and, okay, well, how do I use this now for, for good, you know, not make it a disabling. Type so, so, so the hurricane was in September on our honeymoon in Mexico, right? Yeah. And then the show that we ended up do, doing was in January at the Moody Theater. And we did a show where we reenacted. I, I had this great band, a jazz band called uh, Church on Monday. Mm-hmm. And um, we reenacted the hurricane through like, so it was in two parts. The first part was nothing but romantic songs. And we had images that we had taken on our honeymoon on the beach mm-hmm. and walking and sunsets and all this stuff, right? We had projections, three three screens. And then, after that was over, and I had a big band, backup singers, every, I had a choir, actually, you know. Crazy. It was crazy. It was, I went over the top. You know? That's wild that you put this together. Excuse me. And then we, so then, intermission comes. As people start to pile back into the auditorium, suddenly there's, like, flashes of lightning and... The, and like you hear the CB radios start to crackle, the lights start to go down. There's more lightning on the screens and thunder, and and then you hear the musicians start to do this Albert Ayler kind of with their you know reeds. They start to blow like the wind starts to pick up, pick up, pick up. We went into this 15-minute cacophony, freeform, like Albert Ayler, you know, 60s experimental, with with a monologue. And what I used as a monologue was this exact phone conversations we had with my kids when we told them that we might not see them again, but we love them, you know, kind of thing. Wow. It was so intense, and it was so great. And that really helped us a lot, I think, that it was, you know, overused word. It was cathartic, but it was, you know, it was amazing that we really got a lot out. It was a great show. And, it was, and that's that part of the show was not easy for a lot of people. Yeah. First of all, it was complete noise and freeform jazz, right? right. With some of the best players in, I mean, the best players in town. And um, and then the girls, the choir had flashlights, so they're like in this dark theater, they're flashing the flashlights, because yeah. that's what we were doing ourselves, you know, right. trying to see what was happening in the hurricane. And then the phone rings and... You know, so that was, was it our improvised show. or was it written out or was it a cacophony? Well, it was supposed go, to be written here. out, but I remember the, the teleprompter went out, so we I improvised it. Yeah, yeah, but I knew it pretty much by heart. You know, and you I think knew. like you were like this kind of helped you heal? Uh, very much so, man. That's interesting. It was incredible, and that was one of the shows I didn't. How many have we done? Six, six shows. I did one show there where I told the history of Austin music, sixty years of Austin music. Started in 1951 with the Bells of Joy, a gospel group out of the East Side, mm-hmm. who had a hit with Let's Talk About Jesus. We had the last remaining Bell of Joy uh, there, and his kids are now, you know, his grandkids and nephews are all the singers now, and they did Let's Talk About Jesus. We then skipped to 1952 or three, and it was Dolores and the Blue Bonnet Boys, a country swing group led by a woman, Dolores. Mm-hmm. And she wrote all the charts, she played piano, and they had a big hit with uh, the Austin Waltz, it was called. And then 
just went through the whole progression to the progressive cowboy thing. We had 32 artists. We had everyone from Rocky Harris, Lucinda, Joe Ely, Terry Allen. We had the poster guys who were part of the armadillo scene, Jim Franklin. Um, Did you know Rocky Erickson? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we ended with the butthole surfers. Uh, we did uh, Avalanche, is that? Pepper, Pepper, that's right. We did that song, Pepper. That's wild. It's a killer song. And that was the last song, you know. Yeah. But the reason we did these shows were always kind of with this, uh, one of them was a Leonard Cohen show. And it wasn't a tribute, but it was more the, uh, what was it called? Uh, the influence of Leonard Cohen. The influence of Leonard Cohen. Right. And so we had Julie Christensen come and sing. She sang with Leonard in his live shows. And Mitch Watkins was the guitar player. He was Leonard's guitar player, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was just, those kind of shows were great. You know? The last one I did was The Crossing. We had James Williamson from The Stooges. We had Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Yeah. We had Joe Ely. Who else? Did we? Who? John Perry. Oh, John Perry from The Only Ones, man. He came and played guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Man, but it just seems like such an effort to put these kind it's of shows together. It's a lot together. of work. A lot of work. Yeah. And you have to ask a lot of favors, and that's always kind of hard, you know. Yeah. Because we've never made any money on these things, you know. Yeah. You're always paying to put them on, you know. It seems like you're headed towards like making a musical or Broadway kind Something of situation like that. Yeah. Like that you know? I want to do what like what you do, and but I want to kind of make it more you know my obviously my story and but I want to do it with visuals too, yeah. like you do with painting, right? Yeah. But I want to have more movie project uh, projections behind me, you know, yeah. telling the story completely. You yeah, know? I guess uh, having a visual representation. Mm -hmm. Especially for you, whose like main influence is film. Right. You know? I love that. You've done the Rubin Museum, right? Yeah. I love that show, man. Yeah. Because it's. Have you been there? Naked Soul. Yeah, Naked yeah. Soul. Man, I love that show. I've done it about four times or five times, and every time. This time I had the author, uh, the co-author of my book, and we kind of like, for the audience, we kind of like uh, worked through how we worked together. And every time he would get to a part of the the memoir as we know it now, I would sing a song related to that part, you know. And then it, that would bounce into another idea about the book and blah blah blah, telling a lot of stories. Was that scripted or improvised? It was improvised. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of improvisation is the the fearlessness you learn about just being able to go out there and make something happen, you know? Yeah. And you have that, you know, you have that for yeah. sure. Well, doing a podcast is that. Yeah. You know? No, it's a big, it's great. I love it. Yeah. You coming on here is that. <laughs> this was an improvisation, if nothing else. Yeah, totally. You know? And it was real. Yeah. I yeah. love the interaction between you guys. I know, that's probably... I think we, the next time, if you don't mind... Let me do the questions, and I'm going to ask both of you questions, and that I'm not, will be I'm the I'm not budget. interested. Huh? I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, thank you for coming oh, on. Oh, you're though, welcome. Man. I'm sorry I like, talk so much. Oh, my God. I, could, I just got to pee. Not enough. Yeah, if you guys want to keep hey, going. I'll, I'll ask him a question. You can go pee. <laughs> All right. Watch your headphones. The last question I'm always I taking had them with for you, you was about Springsteen. Oh. Um, 
how did it come about or how did you feel once he covered one of your songs? It was pretty amazing. I mean, it was incredible, you know, that... that was it a... Did, like, did they call you? Did they... How did that whole thing come well, about? I was, well, I got picked up at one, at one John point. Landau. John Landau picked me up and they were uh, helping me, helping manage my, my career. And um, it was amazing to work with them. You know, I loved them very much. Uh, and then um, he sort of embraced you in a way. Yeah, they did very much. And then, and then uh, Bruce was coming to Houston, and they said, "Why don't you come to the show? You know, and meet Bruce and meet us, and we'll all have dinner together." <clears throat> so I went, and then as I'm driving from uh, Wimberley, I get a text, and it says, "You know, Bruce wants to do Always a Friend. Are you in?" Was the text, you know. So I said, "Yeah, I'm in." You know. And, you, you know, but it? then of course, then the wheels started to turn and I started telling myself, oh, shit, man, I'm going to play with Bruce Springsteen. I've never met him. I've never even been to a Bruce show, you know, and this is going to be crazy. So, you know, I started to get a little paranoid, but I go and Bruce was so sweet man, just amazing, just so generous and and just supportive and kind. And, you know, my manager was there and I go out, check out the show. And it was an amazing show. I'd never been to a Bruce show. It was an unbelievable show. And then uh, Bruce brought me up, and we did Always a Friend in front of however many people were there. It was huge. And that was uh, the first time we'd ever played it. We never sound-checked it or anything. So it was needlessly to say it was like jumping off a cliff, just hoping for the best, you know. Crazy. This, yeah. You met him, sang with him, and yeah. saw this for the first time you've seen him live, yeah. all in the same yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really great because uh, little Steven was apparently his role in the whole thing was to keep me grounded or something because he never once looked at the audience, faced the audience while we were playing the song. He planted himself on the edge of stage looking directly into my eyes the whole time you know, with his back to the audience, just playing guitar and looking at me, you know, with those soprano eyes and like, you know, like, it's like, don't fuck up, whatever you're doing, man. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. But it was great, man. It was really great. Everyone was so good. Who are you talking about? The E Street band, yeah. Oh, Springsteen? So, so the first time he met Springsteen, saw Springsteen live, and sang with Springsteen are all in the same day. Oh, really? Yeah, on, on a big <laughs> stage, you know, like 50,000 people or something. Cause he liked Real Animal, right? Yeah, he loved I, he loved Always a Friend. He loved that song. Yeah, yeah. And I, he sang he sang on um, Street Songs of Love, this other record that I wrote with Chuck. The next one. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You and Chuck are a good team that way. Yeah, we are. I think yeah. we write really well together. Yeah. We haven't written in a while, but I'd like to. I'd like to write with you. Yeah, I'd love to play something with you. We should man. write a song. That would be so great. Yeah, yeah, I, and I love working with those. Uh, you know that whole group of people. Yeah, Peter Scott and Scott, and Peter and Linda, and Linda, Kurt, all those people. Yeah. yeah, I love them. They're great, great, great people. So yeah, whenever you're ready, let me know. I'm around. <clears throat> I'm not going anywhere. I'll be in Texas. I'm coming. Texas or Mexico. We're going to build a sweat lodge and write a hit. Yeah. That'd be fun, man. It would be fun. Uh, You'd you'd really love it out there. I think I'm going to do it. How far away from Austin is it? 35 miles. Okay, I'm going to come. Yeah. Do you got a lot of friends in Austin? 
just you. We have a mutual friend, Jody. <laughs> no, I have some friends, yeah. You know Jody, right? Yeah, of course. Jody Denberg. Well, brother. Thank you for everything, guys. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for the for the good times and the good and the smoke. bad times. We laughed and we cried. Yeah. It got weird. It got it was, weird. It was awesome. Well, you guys got weird, but that's okay. Yeah. That's normal for us. Yeah. What is the Dirty it's, Nil? Are we, we're off the air now, right? No, we're no, on the uh, air. It's, it's a uh, like, Canadian band, Canadian punk band. It's a great T-shirt. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Check them out. Did you did you play in punk rock bands? Not really. Yeah, like, I didn't think uh, so. Nah, because I, w- I started out on bass, and I wanted to be a fusion bass player when I was oh, a kid. Oh, cool. You know, I like Jaco Pistorius. Oh, yeah. And Stanley Clark and all that. Yeah. Like, I was into Weather Report and, oh. you know. Quick story. Listen to this. Okay. We're going to see the Stooges yeah. at the Whiskey A Go-Go. So we get in our van, got a lot of pot. Our friends, everybody's in the van. We're smoking pot. Can't wait to see the Stooges. At the- Seeing the Stooges at the Whiskey was amazing, you know. And then... Uh, we had gone on the wrong day. So we look up at the marquee and this weather report is playing. I go, who the fuck at is At the whiskey? What? At the whiskey of go-go. That's fucking weird. And so I go, who, who the fuck is weather report? But let's go, we're here. You know, we drove 40 miles to get there. Go inside, mine's completely blown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the original, the real weather report. You know, all the original guys and they were just on fire, man. And it was a great, good education. Now. Even though we didn't get to see the Stooges, <laughs> we probably, you know, saw a cooler band in a way. Joe Zawinul. 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 I almost got to work with him. Yeah. He was doing a record on boxing, a boxer, and he wa- and my father was a prize fighter. Really? Yeah, and so, like, he wanted to, uh, wanted me to write lyrics for his thing, you know. Just never happened, never got together. Why not? I don't know. I was living here in New York, I think, at the time. Did your dad box? Did you box? I had to do golden gloves and stuff like that. You know, I didn't get that high in the ranks. I hated boxing. Yeah? Yeah. I well, love watching it, but I don't want to... I don't like getting hit. Yeah, I don't like getting hit either. Yeah. I'm not that into it. No, I'm not that into it. I've been doing it. I really I, don't I, like I, to I hit spar them. sometimes, yeah. but, you know, it's fun. Like, the sport of it is super fun. It's beautiful. It's incredible, but uh, yeah, the whole you can't get around the getting hit thing or hitting, you know, and it's kind of like I'm not into it, man. That part is I think you know, working the bags and doing road work and yeah, stuff it's is fun. great, it's, it's yeah. amazing. But the uh, sport of it's so fun, though, yeah, it's like that's it's too bad our skulls aren't like more, uh, I don't know, tough. Did you see the uh, documentary on Freddie Roach? No. You know Freddie Roach, the, the trainer? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just watched Tyson Fury's fight. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He won, but he got a crazy cut on his oh, eye. Oh, did he? Yeah. Like crazy. Like, it's like... You know, oh, really? Yeah, and, and and the guy that he fought did good. Like Frazier got cut? No, uh, Tyson Fury got cut. Oh, Ty- oh, excuse me, Tyson, yeah. Yeah. Last night. Wow. They just fought last night. Did they? Yeah. How's this Fury guy? He's great? He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's going to, he, you know, he fought Deontay Wilder. And they had that draw. Oh. You know? That's the heavyweight division. You know? But, uh. My brother was a good boxer. They're about to rematch. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Fat City? 
No. Oh. John Huston directed it. It's a Leonard Gardner book, and it's a story about down-and-out boxers in the Sacramento Valley in the, like, the 60s or 70s, really? I think, 70s. Called Fat City? Yeah, Chris Christopherson did the soundtrack. Interesting. And your brother was good? My brother was good, yeah. Did he go pro or anything? No, no. No. But he was a good boxer. He's big. He's tall like you. You know, he's a big guy. Yeah. He's good. My dad was a good boy. We got to go? Oh, yeah. What time are we leaving? We've been here a long time. Yeah, it's Dude, almost we've been three hours. Three hours. Yeah, you're oh, good. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just give us one word of wisdom and we'll let you go. I think. Final. I, um, final. Famous final words. Famous final words. I read a, gr- a great quote from you that was I still believe music is powerful enough to change the world. Oh, yeah. I always want to believe that, yeah. You know, I grew up in that generation that believed it, you know. I don't know what the generations feel since then, but I know that music has a, a way to heal. Pete Seeger told me that once. I got to, you know, play that. Uh, did you play that festival he had? Which one? The one about the river, Clean the River Project kind Not of thing. No. Yeah, it's a Green River, I believe. I don't know the name of it. Anyway. We were talking, and uh, he says, you know, music will save the world. Music and artists will save the world. And I believe that. Why? Because I think artists, the the role of a songwriter, the role of a, is to see what other people merely look at, you know? And that by doing that, you're... And if you do it in a selfless way, too, I mean, I think it's important that you do it with good motivation, you know? But you kind of show people, you hold up a mirror, you hold up a reflection of what a lot of people, like what we were talking about, like what you said about uh, uh, the garbage can syndrome or whatever you uh, call scapegoat. it. Scapegoat. Scapegoat syndrome. Yeah. You know, and that we all, we probably all have a story like that, you know, yeah. which is something I never thought about because like what you were talking about was I did take it very personally. Right. So I, you know, in myself selfish way i didn't think about other people i was just merely thinking about myself yeah have you ever heard of the four agreements yeah i don't know anything about it well one of them is don't take anything personally yeah and never make assumptions yeah well that's always do that's great advice and be impeccable with your word yeah it's kind of like the sufis say the same thing yeah probably yeah sounds about right and Buddhist text also tells you, you know, right mind, right, you know, sound, right heart, you know. That's what I love about the mantras because it kind of like I'm force feeding my brain in that direction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like uh, I'm, I'm making sure that I guide it towards a positive mm. result because left to its own devices, you know, the brain goes into all kinds of. It's bullshit, so true, dude. right? Yeah, it's what you that, were talking about. Very wise, because, like you know, like what you were talking about, like carrying that stuff with you just creates a block, right? Yeah, and you course. live in that world. And then you're living in a memory, and, exactly. And you're there alone. It's a ghost <coughs> town. You know, yeah. it's not. It's not vital. But it's also this is vital. Like being here now is vital, and, and to the degree that you could be here now is to the degree that you're not affected by. But it the is a process that you past. have to work through too, right? You know, so of like of course. Yeah, that's for like, me. I'm at, you know, like songwriting was always about going to that place. For some reason, it was the easiest, probably because that's all 
that I was it was kind of consuming you know but those thoughts and that thing was where I would always go to write songs you know that room right that room of guilt yeah and and you know that room of shame that that room was always where I first went to write songs yeah the so really lo- no one bought my records the lonely the lonely room they're the records you put on when you want everyone to leave the party you know yeah but you were exercising the pain you know just like with the uh, hurricane there's beauty in that it's like the emotional hurricane the uh, the, uh, actual hurricane was a reflection of the emotional hurricane yeah there was a lot of that kind of stuff maybe if you believe in that kind of manifestation uh, well, I, you know, I think that the disease, hepatitis C, was brought on definitely because liver is where you put, uh, where all the guilt stored, the anger. Yeah. The so, yeah, I had a lot of that, a lot of that. Yeah. Not as much, but now. But, but you worked through it. Trying. Yeah, man, congratulations. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Well, man, you were wonderful. Thanks a lot. I yeah. loved it. I had a I'm, good time. I love you, brother. I love you, too. Man. Yeah, man. And we'll do something together. I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I like the way you approached the solo thing last night. Thanks. It was great. I feel rejuvenated in it. Good. You know, like You're great it's, at that, it's man. weird. You go through all these different, you know, phases and bands and situations. And then for me, it's come back around to like, you know what? I'm digging playing with these loops again. Like, yeah. It feels new and fresh to me yeah, again. Like, because for a long time, you, you get into these attitudinal problems yeah. with writing and music where those kind of things can block you. Mm-hmm. you know? Or maybe you're just evolving and shifting. Yeah. But. You know, like last night playing, I, I played it with the electric guitar just super I loud, loved, fuzzed out. Yeah. Right? And that was so much fun. It man. was great. It was oh, rocking. Fuck. I just loved it, you know? Yeah. And that turned me on again. Like, I feel like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's tr- see where we can go from here you know kind right of, you know. i want to make a record uh, with a lot of feedback like yeah. almost orchestrate the feedback you know yeah do you know that freak out pedal dude the, the one that you Dig- have by digitech oh I, no i don't know it. oh my god you're gonna fucking love it oh uh, i want to get it's it like yeah. dude it's like a couple hundred bucks maybe a hundred bucks or something oh, like wow. somewhere in between that it's not crazy expensive and it gives you feedback controlled feedback like when you press it like it'll feedback the guitar but like in in in, you can pick it to be a third a fifth a seventh an octave up an octave down and it's beautiful so you can layer those two when you record even even clean fucking guitar has like oh cool beautiful feedback like almost like an ebo like you know that moog guitar yeah it kind of creates that and then like lead wise too you can get into gnarly shit like where it just it it sustains forever wow dude you gotta get it you're gonna you're gonna if you're talking about doing something with lots of feedback this is like a feedback pedal that's like controlled feedback that sounds rad. I'm in. I'm it, in. It just and you can do it in latch mode. And too. you're gonna send me the link. Oh, you already sent me the link to the. Ho'oponopono. No, no. no. That, well, you, yeah, that. <laughs> I gotta send you that. No, too. the the, the uh, looper. Yeah, and you were gonna send. Oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, what am looper. I sending you? Something about a musician, Pablo. Like wait. Oh, Paolo Conte. Paolo Conte. Yeah. yeah. We'll do. Yeah. I'm sorry, we gotta catch it. All right, man. Hey, God bless, dude. Thank thank you you so much. Thanks, everybody. Give your social media. Do you have any of that, or you don't care? We have social media. Yeah. What's your social media like for the? Oh, uh, 
Am I supposed to? It's all, yeah, just to like. I where think people I can think there's you. a website. It's called AlejandroEscovedo.com, and I think we're on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Are we on anything else? I don't know. Instagram, Twitter. Are we on? Oh yeah, I think I follow. I follow you. Oh, you do? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Follow. I'll follow uh, you guys. Yeah. Then. Now, what's the podcast called again? Come to where I'm from. What's that? Come to where Come I'm to from. Come to where I'm from. That's the name of Joe's second album. With, with Joseph Arthur. That's like the full name. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> the thing he said about the marquee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> read, read the name at the top of the podcast. <laughs> All right, brother. Alejandro Escovedo. Did I say it right? Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.